morning, New York sports fans. I'm Daniel McCartan, McCartan After Midnight, and I'll be talking, obviously, all things New York sports with you till, what, 6 a.m. on this early Saturday morning, or is it late Friday night if you're still out and about, the city never sleeps. Coming to you live from the Mike Francesa studio this week here in Lower Manhattan, and me and you, we're going to be together a lot tonight till 6 a.m. So I have Kevin behind the glass. With me tonight, he's ready, willing, able to take your phone calls. You guys know that number already. It's probably programmed into your phone, 877-337-6666. Hopefully, we'll have some thought-provoking, nice dialogue tonight, centered, obviously, upon the New York sports teams here. Um, I've got a very special guest for you tonight, too, as well, Sweeney Murdy, who's um, WFAN's New York Yankees beat reporter. Um, He'll be on a little bit later with us tonight. We're going to talk about Garrett Cole, obviously, and everything regarding him, that he is now a New York Yankee for good. They had the press conference, et cetera, et cetera. And finally, Cole is here, and Yankee fans are happy to have gotten Cole in their stockings for Christmas this year. Um, I, I asked a pretty funny question, I think. I mean, my own humble opinion that how much money does he know did uh, did Luke Voigt get for giving up his number 45? We'll see about that. And, you know, this is an interesting question, that, and I know I'm thinking well far ahead of – of, uh, you know, putting the cart before the horse, as they say. But if the Yankees miss the World Series in 2020, does that equal Aaron Boone on the hot seat? I think I think it might. And then you're compensating for Didi's missing bat out of the lineup. Let's see what Sweeney Murdy thinks. Um, is Higgy good enough to be Sanchez's backup? I think we got that answer today, and I think it is a yes. Or are the Yankees still shopping? We don't know, but I think, I think it, they've sort of kind of solidified that, and Sweeney will tell you more about that. So much more with him, and that's coming up a little bit later in the show. So this week, rookie Daniel Jones, the Eli Manning incarnate, will get the nod at quarterback for the Giants in Week 16 divisional battle versus the Washington Redskins. Eli Manning played in what figures to be his last game while wearing Giants blue at MetLife Stadium last weekend. And he engineered the team and his team, his Giants, to their first win, and and that was 10 weeks. They were on a nine-game losing streak. That's right. Eze orchestrated the Giants offense to light up the scoreboard for 36 points, the most they've posted all season long. Obviously, like we just said, the win broke a nine-game losing streak. But more importantly for us, the fans, all of us watching, Eli Manning's career win-loss record is back to 500. Now it's finally the time to open Pandora's box of questions. Will Eli Manning retire, or will he play elsewhere in 2020? If retirement is Manning's choice, will he receive the gold jacket and the bust in Canton, Ohio? Well, that'll be up for debate tonight, I'm sure. So in the final minutes of the game, the camera panned to the luxury suite where his father, Archie, which he's a two-time Pro Bowl quarterback himself, and his mother, Olivia, were embracing while gazing wistfully on the field as Big Blue's faithful serenaded their, their son, Eli. As the cameras followed him walking off his home field for what seems to be the last time, and what feels to be the last time, fans were on their feet chanting his name as they had done intermittently throughout the game. 
And even Coach Pat Shermer called a timeout for fans to give Eli the ovation he absolutely deserves. Manning entered that tunnel and was embraced immediately by his wife and three daughters. The feeling, it had the mark of a career's end. And although it wasn't a total fairy tale, like Brother Peyton's walk-off win in Super Bowl 50, I began to think back on our last decade and, and our New York sports icons that have retired in that time. Which would you say is the most moving? Would it be Manning, Jeter, Rivera, or even maybe David Wright? For me, my vote's Derek Jeter, and I'm sure we'll talk about that tonight as well. And so for the next five years, starting tonight, or maybe a couple days ago, we will be debating whether or not Eli Manning is, in fact, a Hall of Fame quarterback. It seems that opinions on Eli's legacy are like, well, let's just say everyone's got one. As you can tell by the introduction song I picked for the Giants section of my opening monologue, Hall of Fame by the script featuring Will I Am, I do unequivocally, unequivocally think that, based on his body of work and his accolades, Eli Manning will be enshrined in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And next, we're going to head to the, through the Cinderblock Tunnel of MetLife Stadium underneath the bleachers, and we're going to head to the New York Jets locker room, where Adam Gase's Jets are underdogs yet again in Week 16 action. Sure, there's the Heinz Ward is now a wide receiver coach for the New York Jets storyline. Sure, maybe even more intriguing is the Le'Veon Bell revenge game storyline. Well, Maybe that one would be more exciting if the head coach of the New York Jets knew exactly how to use one of the most dynamic backs in the NFL. Spoiler alert, he doesn't. And maybe Odell Beckham Jr. isn't the only player asking other teams to come get him, because by now, if I were Le'Veon Bell, I know I would be. And so a team with only one player selected to the Pro Bowl, Jamal Adams for the second time in three years, will find themselves both underdogs on the scoreboard, and rooted against in their own building. Jets players have been figuring the stands to be filled maybe 50-50 with Jets and Steelers fans. And so much so that the Jets and, and the coaching staff and the players have been factoring in crowd noise as in their practices. Crowd noise against them in their own building. Now, if the team were better, there wouldn't be this preoccupation with Jets fans selling their tickets on the secondary market to Steelers fans. Unless, of course, the seats are unaccounted for anyway, which then would mean that season ticket sales are down. Both are bad case scenarios for the team. But don't worry, Jets fans. The head coach, Adam Gase, excuse train has already left the station. He told reporters on Wednesday, I was in Denver and there was a huge Pittsburgh following there. Uh, I've seen a couple different places. It's been consistent. They have a really good fan base that travels with them. Anyway, the main attraction might not even be on the field, but on the roads leading to the stadium this weekend. Hence, the reason for the headstrong by trapped throwback, little there in my open here, because there are three fan-funded billboards lining the three major highways into MetLife Stadium, a la the Fire John Idzik ones from not long ago. This time... They're going to feature Adam Gase wearing the Heath Ledger Joker makeup and the slogan, Fire Adam Gase, Save the Jets. You will see them if you're driving into the game on the New Jersey Turnpike by exit 16E, <laughs> Route 495 at Kennedy Boulevard, and on Route 3 West. Obviously, that's an embarrassing look for the team. I wonder if the broadcast team will show it. I'm going to guess, probably not. 
if I can remember when I leave here tonight, I might be taking one of those roads home just so I can snap a quick picture and, and, and uh, tweet that to you, obviously, when I get home. And, guys, as I told you last week, Cashman, as you know, got the man he wanted then, and he will again this year, and you better believe it, and guess what happened? He did. The Yankees and Garrett Cole's love story, that's Taylor Swift, as you know, the Yankees and Garrett Cole's love story ended with a yes from the best pitcher in all of Major League Baseball. Does anyone really know the length to which the Yankees wooed their nine-year-long marriage partner? And possibly even longer? The love story all started with a bottle of Vino Rosso from Toscana, Italia, from the year 2004, 2004, vintage. Aaron Boone proudly carried two bottles of the $900 per bottle wine into his meeting with Garrett Cole, and Garrett Cole was absolutely floored. How on earth did the Yankees know that was his favorite wine? The wine that he enjoyed while on vacation with his wife in Firenze, Florence. Maybe if it wasn't the wine that did it, the Yankees came bearing a -a one-of-a-kind gift as well. No, not the beware of Greeks bearing gifts kind. The gift sounded like Elon Musk designed it himself. It was a 30-pound replica of Yankee Stadium, which opened to reveal an iPad, showcasing the tradition and history of the New York Yankees. Cue the Yes Network music here. I should have added that in. But furthermore, when touched that iPad, it displayed facts about our area, the area in which we live, guys, including where to live should he choose Manhattan or where to live in New Jersey, suburbia, should he choose that life, a la the CC Sabathia route. And then there's always the chance that maybe Garrett Cole, the lifelong Yankees fan, would have signed his name on the dotted line without all of that. But we're never going to know. Ah, there you go. Kevin, he's got the Yes Network music. Perfect. The tradition of the Yankees. The mystification of the Yankees. Maybe that's what attracted Garrett Cole. If it wasn't the wine, maybe it was that 30-pound thing. Or maybe it was the $324 million. I feel like a lottery commercial now. You got any lottery music back there, Kevin? Uh... And the Yankees clearly know how to get their man, especially in this love story. And actually, after all that, all some people got out of Cole's press conference was the fact that the new Nike logo on the front of the jerseys is huge, and which, to me, it's ridiculous. But besides that argument, which we will discuss tonight, what or who is next on the New York Yankees shopping list? I'd suggest maybe a backup catcher. They seem pretty good with Higgy. And who's going to take Didi Gregorius' spot in the lineup? Whatever it is, the Yankees are in tinkering mode, and with the acquisition of Cole, are well on their way to win the 2020 World Series. In fact, Vegas is predicting, as of, I don't know, a couple hours ago I checked, Vegas is predicting a Yankees-Dodgers World Series for the next season, with the Yankees being victorious. And now we have the New York Mets. This is Tayo Cruz, Break Your Heart. I saw this and I was like, this is perfect. Because the Mets have saved a ton of money. $14 million, in fact. On the U.N. Cespedes contract. And they restructured his deal for 2020 to be so incentive-laden. 
which, by the way, in my opinion, makes him an absolute trade piece in July. So, um, Dylan Batances, where are you? Why hasn't Brody Van Wagenen, the Hollywood Brody, made Dylan Batances a New York Met yet? What is he waiting for? Because while Brian Cashman has sealed the deal on his love story, Brody Van Wagenen is setting up to break hearts all over the tri-state area. Like the song, see? With each and every name that gets crossed off the free agent list, one by one. Batantis, obviously, we all know, would be coming off an injury-plagued season. And on a one-year deal, which is what he's reportedly seeking for $10 million, he would be highly motivated to pitch himself into a huge contract in 2021. He's got tons to prove and a huge upside, as we have seen in this town. So as each team adds major pieces to better themselves in the NL East, the Mets are either still standing pat, R.E. Francisco Lindor, or shopping as I had last week, the song was Macklemore Thrift Shop. That's where the Mets seem to be shopping. They've added Jake Marisnik, Rick Porcello in Italian, and Michael Waka. Either way, their competition is getting better, and they really aren't. Well, maybe people are vastly underestimating Juanes Cespedes and his 40-home run claim, and then a 52-home run promise by Buddy Eduardo Perez. How crazy is that? The guy that has played in an average of 59 and a half games over his last two seasons, who has 26 home runs in those two seasons total. Maybe he'll be the savior that propels the Mets to a wild card spot. <laughs> well, because let's be honest, at this point in time, that is the only thing they're going to be in contention for with the Atlanta Braves, the surging Philadelphia Phillies, and the World Series defending Washington Nationals. The NL East will be the toughest, most competitive division in baseball in 2020, and the Mets cannot find themselves at the bottom of it. Brody Van Wagenen can't seem to press the right buttons to keep them out of the basement, on paper, anyway. Can you imagine if the Phillies land Dylan Batances after picking the manager the Mets should have picked, after going out and acquiring one of the most reliable shortstops in the game in Didi Gregorius? Will Brody Van Wagenen even get to see any of the Stephen Cohen money bags? If you're asking me right now, I'd say absolutely not. There are 52 days until pitchers and catchers. Let's hit the calls, 877-337-6666. I'm Daniel McCartan after midnight on the fan, and he is Marco Belletti. And we are back. This is a perfect intro because right about what we're going to hit is, is Eli Manning a Hall of Famer? That seems to be the hot topic tonight. And then we got a quick check-in here. Kevin, we are being streamed live right now at the Palazzo Resort in Las Vegas, Nevada, right now. Oh, wow. What's up, Vegas? <laughs> and it's fitting because we just talked about how the Yankees are the number one uh, favorite to win the World Series this year. So As they should be. And not just because of Cole, because with the at-bats on top of that, and we signed Chapman, and yes, what happened at the end with... Game six with Chapman. It is what it is. Mariano Rivera also blown saves here and there. But the Yankees, they had the at bat. They had the lineup. You just had to get that number one ace, and they got him. Yeah, and they did. And that's and that's one of the final pieces that they need. Like I said, they are in tinkering mode. And so, hello to the Palazzo in uh, in the Venetian for checking in tonight. And that's Chris Wynn over there in Vegas. So, is Eli Manning a Hall of Famer? Um, so here's what I likened this to as I sat down and, and really thought about this. When you go house shopping, 
you look for comparables to determine the worth of the one you're considering. And you look at a bunch of the metrics and the qualifications and you do a comparison and a contrast. The two comparables I look at when thinking about Eli Manning's case for the Hall of Fame are Joe Namath, who finished his career at 62, 63, and 4, and Sonny Jurgensen, who finished 69, 71, and 7. Those are the only modern quarterbacks inducted without a winning record. A little bit about Jurgensen, because I had to look this up. He sat most of his four seasons with the Eagles behind another Hall of Famer, Norm Van Brunklin, but he had more losing seasons, seven, than any other Hall of Fame quarterback, including four of his first five as a starter. And the low point was back-to-back seasons of 3-9-1 and 1-6-1 and and in a 62-63 and 63 with the Eagles. Sonny Jurgensen, guys, is in the Hall of Fame. And you guys can load the calls up, 877-337-6666. Then you look at Joe Namath. He completed just a tick over half his passes, 50.2% as a Jet. And he threw 47 more interceptions and touchdowns. Both guys finished their careers with losing records. Will Eli Manning be inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame? Yes. A different question along the same vein is, does he deserve to be there? For me, that's also a yes. Because I do not think Eli Manning deserves to join Jim Plunkett as the only quarterback to win two Super Bowls. And in the case of Plunkett, he won one of them was a Super Bowl MVP with the Raiders and not get into the Hall of Fame. So let's squash the Jim Plunkett comparable right now. First, Eli Manning's completion percentage is 12% higher than Plunkett's. Eli Manning has made three more Pro Bowls than Jim Plunkett. And Manning threw for almost 5,000 yards in 2011, more than double that of Plunkett's best season. I can go on and on. They are not the same caliber of player. He's always first. CJ in Mount Holly, you're on the fan. Yes, all right. With Eli, this is a very, very close call. I'm really very good with analytics and statistics. I studied these numbers very carefully. And I know one thing that works against Eli is his ratio compared to this quarterback of this generation. His ratio to interceptions and touchdown passes is not that great compared to other quarterbacks. Remember, for many years, the Giants had a good running team, so they would frequently run by the goal line. I think that has to be taken into account. Um, sure, but... You know, I, the argument I would I would counter with that is, you know, okay. Brett Favre, right? Everybody knows Brett Favre's in the Hall of Fame, deserves to be there, etc. He has 336 career interceptions. Manning has Correct. 244. Right, but if you look at touchdown passes, though, one of the reasons Manning doesn't have as many as he could have because the Giants used to run a lot by the goal line when they had those good offensive line, a great running game. So that lowered Eli's potential touchdown numbers. Right, CJ, but you mentioned the interceptions too, and, and it, that has to be part of the conversation, that yeah. he has oh, like 100 less interceptions almost, I'm rounding it, but then Brett Favre. I mean, come on. Yeah, no, no, you're right about that. And also, one thing that's very bad about quarterback rating in the NFL, it really goes basically by that ratio we've been talking about, and it doesn't really take 
into a camp, the odds turn in a camp, because Eli threw mm. the deep ball, mm-hmm. Matt Davis says, case to be in the Hall of Fame, because the rating is deceptive. Yeah, and that, and you know, Eli is, is the play action master, the the middle of the yep. field master. So, yeah, I could see that the check down master, as you as you could say. Um, my dad always says that Eli Manning is a very good statistical quarterback. Is what my dad always says. <laughs> uh, you know, that's very interesting discussion. All right, getting now to the other team, I want to talk about the Yankees. Sure. I really feel this to be a blockbuster trade to be made. I don't know who it's going to be. But it's not just going to be a little tuning trade. I think they're looking for a big time lefty bat. At the minimum, maybe got like smoke, who, you know, would be a good fit. But I think they might be going big game hunting for a quality lefty. Yeah, I mean, I think, and, and CJ, thanks for the call, as always, every, every single time I'm on. I think that the Yankees were also linked, and we can get into this a little bit later, for, uh, with, uh, with Joe Panic. Um, I think he was a name that had come up. The last I heard, he was still in the running, in the mix. So I, I would not be opposed to having uh, Joe Panic on the on the Yankees. And we can talk about that a little bit later. Let's go to Kevin in Camden, New Jersey. You are on the fan. How are you doing, Daniel? Okay, how are you, Kevin? I'm good. Once I'm on uh, Giants on Sunday, I think I want them to win, first of all. At this point in the season, I want them to lose. I know, I know I'm, it's coming because you want them to lose because you want a higher draft pick. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. um, I just feel like, you know, if, if we lose, we get that guy, Chase Young, and then get him in, and Shermer would be fired, and that's what I would like personally. But that's just my opinion. I mean, I don't know. I mean, and we could, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about We'll hit this a little bit, and, and, and Kevin, thanks for the call. I, I do think that uh, Pat Shermer is done um, at the end of this season, and with that being said, I do think that they should give, the Giants should give Dave Gettleman at least one more season, because... You know, you look at the guys that he's drafted, everybody, and, and we can talk about this a little bit later, but the, the secondary, I mean, they're coming into their own. I know the Giants' defense is not good, but they are very young. And you guys, you have guys like, like Sam, Sam Beal, who played an excellent game last week, and it's just baby steps, you know, with them. And then you look at, what, who else did he have? Dexter Lawrence. I mean, at least he's trying to address the defensive line. And, and Dexter Lawrence, by the way, He's the fifth highest graded rookie in 2019 so far. So he's been having a very quietly sneaky good season that no one really seems to be talking about. And I know I mentioned it here at least. And Marcus Golden has been great. And don't forget about Darius Slayton. Darius Slayton might have been the pick of the draft, obviously besides Daniel Jones, for Dave Gettleman. He was a fifth rounder, 171 overall. And he's got the fourth most receiving yards among all rookie uh, wide receivers, and the most touchdowns. So, Shermer, I think, could go. Get him, and I'd like to see him stay, at least for one more season. And we have our first female caller here on the radio. Kate in Chicago, you're on the fan. Hi, Danielle. Um, so, I am wondering, we've talked, you've talked a lot tonight about um, Eli and it, his Hall of Fame and if he should be in it or not. So I'm wondering if you can help me compare Daniel Jones from his rookie to what you think he's going to be in his sophomore season to how Eli was in his rookie to his sophomore. Okay, thanks for the call. Um, so I, I don't know if you're going into uh, should Daniel Jones be a Hall of Famer because we're, we're not opening that box tonight. But, you know, 
Eli Manning, what I, as you were talking, the one thing that came to my mind was that Eli Manning, although he holds so many records um, for the Giants, I mean, a lot, and we could talk about that in a second, but he holds a lot of records for the Giants, one of them being the most fumbles. He, ha- he holds the Giants' record for most fumbles, and, and that's by a long shot. <laughs> and so when you look at Daniel Jones, and first of all, his, his resemblance to Eli Manning is striking, that's first, but that, that doesn't matter really. But um, just the way he fumbles the ball at a, at a consistent clip that, that Eli Manning does, that's, that's a comparison that, that I'm going to make. And when you look at Eli Manning and his quest to be in the Hall of Fame, that's not really so much talked about. Um, but when Daniel Jones makes those fumbles, I mean, he really makes them count. I'm being facetious, but scooping scores by Devin Kennard, or Devon Kennard, I mean, he makes them count. He makes his fumbles turn into points. And that's part of the reason why the Giants have not had the record that many people expect them to have had this season. So Eli Manning, Daniel Jones... Rookie seasons, I think they're quite comparable. Tim in East Haven, Connecticut, you are on the fan. Pat Marsco, <laughs> Pat Marsco. Oh, I, I, that's so funny because I'm watching a commercial on TV right now, and it's a Buffalo Wild Wings commercial, and they're doing the chop. <laughs> I swear to God, I wish I could have got that on video. <laughs> Danielle, real quick. Yeah. Thank you for taking my call. Of course. Um. Big childhood memory. My father took me to the old school Giants Stadium. Mm-hmm. The building used to rock. Of course. Ray Hanley was our coach. Mm-hmm. And we were getting destroyed, I think, by the Eagles. I can't remember exactly the game. But all I remember is the stadium bust out with Ray Musco. <laughs> Ray Musco. And that's what I took home from the game. It was like, <laughs> oh, my God. Wow. And that's how I feel today. <laughs> So are you going to start the chance? Uh, are you, are you going to drive down to Washington oh to start the chance? Oh, my God. I want to. I want to. <laughs> <laughs> so moving forward, um, I would like them to have a conversation with Jim Harbaugh. Mm-hmm. Don't think it's going to happen, but at least pick up the phone and, and ask him, uh, Michigan, can we talk to him? Uh, would you like to come back to the NFL? At least make the call. If not, it's McCarthy. Yeah. Because we need Daniel Jones to move forward. Yep. And he and has he quite the resume. And he is an offensive mind. Yep. And he does have the resume. And he, and he worked with an, a young Aaron Rodgers. Yes, and he's a quarterback guru that the Jets needed and swung and missed on last season. I know. I'm like, God, Adam Gase, what are they thinking? <laughs> well, you guys know how you know Thank you for taking it. my call. I hope you have a great weekend. Thanks, Tim. You too. Oh, that's so funny. My One of my earliest, not earliest, but one a memory I have from going to the old Giant Stadium, Tim, was uh, me, my dad, and my brother went on, It was, I guess it was a Christmas Eve game, because I remember I was wearing a Santa hat, and um, there were people all over the stadium with, with bags over their heads, and it was like, uh, with Sharpie marker, Fire Coughlin, Fire or Manning, Trade Manning, whatever. And my dad always said that Eli Manning was adopted, but we won't go there. But, um, uh, yeah, so that was one of the memories I've had from the old Giants Stadium. And that place, from what I remember, my first game was a Jets – I was just talking about this the other day, Jets-Buccaneers game. And it was freezing, freezing there. Um, and I, I just don't know. I just – we can get into the MetLife Stadium and how it does not give a uh, home field advantage, in my opinion. Um, 
at all, really. So we'll talk. Obviously, I want to continue the conversation with Eli Manning. Why people say he's not a Hall of Famer? Why people say that he is a Hall of Famer? We will get to both on the other side of the break. I am Daniel McCartan on WFN Radio, New York City, and good morning again, everybody. I am Daniel McCartan here, Danielle McCartan here on WFN Radio, um, and I wanted to just, you know, I'm watching the, the Giants game, um, and obviously, we'll, we I, I want to get your opinions on this as well. Eight seven seven three three seven sixty six sixty six. Um, if you wanted to tweet me too at Coach M C C A R T A N, you know, on commercials, I'm just refreshing it right now. Um, if you guys have a good tweet, I can I can read them on air as well. So, um, but please call in; it makes it more fun. You don't want to hear my voice for for four hours straight. But so I'm I'm sitting there watching this Eli Manning send off the most I- iconic of his of the decade. I'm wondering, you know, we're at the end of the year. It's you know, it's it's. It's time to be a little bit maybe retrospective, a little sentimental. Take a little trip down memory lane. But we quite possibly witnessed another end to an era for the for another New York sports icon this decade after the Eli Manning send-off at the stadium last weekend. So I took to Twitter, again, at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N, to ask you guys which New York sports icon had the most emotional send-off this decade. And the choices I gave or Eli Manning, Derek Jeter, or David Wright. And I know I didn't include Mariano Rivera because I would have been accused of putting two Yankees in there. Unfair advantage, many would say. So it was a damned if I do, damned if I don't sort of thing. But the results were, most of you you guys said that the most emotional New York athlete sent off this decade was Derek Jeter, followed by David Wright, and Eli Manning. And it was Derek Jeter by a landslide. So for me, it would be Derek Jeter, yes. Number two would be Eli Manning. Number three would be David Wright for me. And so I agree with you guys in that sense, in a way. Um, but, you know, for Derek Jeter's retirement, I was there. I was there in the stadium that night. And my seats, they, I remember like it was yesterday, my seats were in at like 200 level, row three, between the third base foul pole and the third base bag. And I went with my dad, my aunt, my two cousins, one's girlfriend, one's wife, my friend Michelle, her parents. There were others, too. We, we had a huge crew going into that game. And I remember there was no batting practice because it started raining. It was a drizzly, foggy, misty day. And then before game time, it stopped. And the sun peeked through. And a rainbow appeared over left field. And maybe depending on your perspective, maybe you could say it was high over shortstop. And the Yankees at that point were totally out of the postseason contention at that point in time. And I could admit... I started crying in the seventh inning of that game. And we're talking your fondest memory of watching your icon retire off into the sunset. And if you want to give me yours, it's eight seven seven three three seven sixty six sixty six. But at that point in time I just I had thoughts of going to my first ever Yankees game. It was nineteen ninety six. My first baseball game. It was ninety six with the Yankees and I I think they were playing the Brewers if I'm not mistaken. It was June, I think eighth, nineteen ninety six think but I had just turned eight when I went and Derek Jeter was the only shortstop I ever knew and me being a shortstop myself to emulate him as you know on the baseball field first for me and then beginning freshman year high school on the softball field I actually did not get to wear number two my freshman year of varsity softball because a sophomore and we're going to name name her or keep her nameless I guess but there was a sophomore ahead of me, and she jumped at number two first because she thought Derek Jeter was hot. Well, for me, it was an entirely different meaning, as you guys probably already could have figured out. So 
I could never be number two in high school. So you know what I did? <laughs> I picked number one, and I and then I beat her out for the position. By the way, but anyway, for me, it was it was not only an end to an era of the Yankees, but it was an end of the era of my childhood, like sort of, kind of in a way. I mean, I first saw Derek Jeter play when I was eight, and I was there that night watching him play as a twenty-six-year-old. And you can do your own math, but. I obviously grew up watching him, and, and like everyone, I obviously had changed a lot from 8 to 26. So I guess I just stood there just with everyone else just thinking about that, and I'm sure thousands of other people in the stands or at home were too. So it was, it was definitely a, a where were you when moment uh, for me. So I can understand how anyone can feel that way about their favorite player or a player that meant a lot to them, including Eli Manning this past weekend. And as a little sidebar, uh, getting into this business, one of the first interviews I ever did was 2016. Um, I talked with Charlie Jeter, obviously Derek's sister, about that night. And the quote was from her, I don't think we all went to dinner after that. It was a pretty late night. I had a four-year-old to get home. I think as a family, even today, when you look back on it, it's surreal. But that's true Derek fashion. It was a great moment and a great way to end his career. So that's my little Derek Jeter story. And my fondest memory of my, or a New York sports icon that, that I said goodbye to um, in this decade. And that wasn't, that was this decade, guys. So, 877-337-6666. Let's head down to Millville. Jim, you're on the fan. Hey, how are you, Kim? I uh, appreciate the call. Um, I got to tell you, I'm a Jets fan. I bleed green. But if anybody tells me Eli's not a Hall of Famer, um, they're wrong. He's got two rings. He's took them to the promised land twice. I'm just hoping that Sam can take us there once. And that's, you know, I'm 54 years old. I just want to see it once. You know, what do you think? Uh, Jim, i, I got to ask you a question. Do you really think that Adam Gase couldn't lead Sam Darnold and these Jets to the promised land? Not a shot in hell. <laughs> I think i got a better shot than that. But What is it going to take for them to, to, to really realize this, this Johnson family? Well, can they sell the family? Um, can they sell the business tomorrow? <laughs> like, like the Mets did, but it's going to take a five-year plan there. Well, I'll take a five-year plan. I'm not that old. I just want one. Yeah, I don't think. <laughs> but so. it's going to take a long time. Years, that's that's the thing. So the, yeah, I think Donald's the real deal. I but do. I don't think he's got any shot at hell with the people who's got leading him right now. Yeah, and, and when you look at what, and I'll get into it in a little bit later when I do Jets, but. The players, especially Ryan Tannehill, what is he doing without Adam Gase's influence on him? He, he's in the running for comeback player of the year. And he's sitting on the bench. Who? No, he's, got, he's got nothing. He's got no help at all. I don't get it. Oh, Tannehill doesn't? No, Tannehill's he's been unreal. That's what I'm saying. I, I'm sorry. Oh, I misunderstood the question. No, it's okay. That's what I'm saying. I, I yeah, I don't get it. Yeah. Um, they should, uh, just unreal. But the Jets really, they got, uh, do they need new ownership or new management? What uh, do you think? I think, Jim, and thanks for the call, I think they, I mean, the ownership is, is always going to, they're not going to sell the team. The Johnsons are not going to sell the team. That's the first and foremost. So it's not that. It's it, Well, it is that, but it's not going to be that. So the Jets need to get a head coach in there that knows what he's doing. Because if you're a fan of my show, you know that I don't think that Adam Gase really has any idea what he's doing. I think when he, after that game when he said about how 
he uh, he got all emotional when he was trying to make the play calls and he got all caught up in himself. I'm paraphrasing, obviously. Um, that you can't have that as a head coach. You can't be. You can't have emotions on the sideline as a head coach if you if you are the play caller. And I fundamentally disagree with that as well. If you are the head coach, then you should not be doing the play calling. That is in my humble opinion. Because there's just too much going on. There's too much to manage if, if you're the head coach and the play caller. Because if you're the head coach, you're the head coach of the entire team. You're not just the head coach of the offense. That would be called an offensive coordinator. <laughs> and I think that there are just some guys that are just better suited to be coordinators. I mean, I think we're seeing it right now this second with, with uh, Pat Shermer. I think Pat Shermer, when you think back to his days with the Minnesota Vikings, and every time I say Minnesota Vikings, I, the, the, the Lizzo song plays in my head, right? Minnesota Vikings, right? But in his time with those Minnesota Vikings, Pat Shermer did incre- really good things w- with Case Keenum. And, you know, he maybe could be doing really good things with the Giants too, but the Giants really don't have a defense, and that is a big problem. And you knew they were going to be growing pains with Daniel Jones. You just you knew it. But getting back to the Jets, another example of a guy that's just a better coordinator than head coach, Todd Bowles. And while I think that that is the case, I do not think that Adam Gase is neither a good head coach nor a good offensive coordinator. Because when you look at the body of work, you don't have to look any farther than Miami to see that that all of his players that played for him in Miami, the main dudes down there in the offense, I mean, they're thriving without him. Tannehill, comeback player of the year, put it in the books. You got uh, Devontae Parker, who is literally having the best season of his entire career without having Adam Gase in charge. So, And, and not to mention that in Miami... They have a first-year coordinator. They have a first-year coordinator. So you can't tell me that some experienced guy is coming in there and, and really working with those guys in Miami. I mean, we're talking individual statistics for those guys. What's the common denominator between, let's say, Devontae Parker, and I have other examples, but between Devontae Parker and Ryan Tannehill? The common denominator between the two is that they don't play for Adam Gase anymore. That's the common denominator. And the, the faster that everybody can see that around here, the better. And that's going to be very evident in the billboards surrounding MetLife Stadium this weekend. So obviously more of your calls after the break, saying goodbye to your heroes, maybe. Eli Manning Hall of Fame, maybe. And Adam Gase and his ineptitude, maybe. I'm Danielle McCartan on The Fan. Sports Radio 1019 FM Good morning, everybody. We are back here in Lower Manhattan. This is McCartan After Midnight. I am Danielle McCartan, and we were just talking a little bit about, I don't know, just the most iconic sports send-off, sports player send-off of this decade. And um, I voted mine with Derek Jeter. I just shared a story about how I was at, um, had the privilege, really, to be at Derek Jeter's last game as a fan in the stands with my family and friends, and it was just a really, uh, a really great a moment, a uh, really great memory. I'm taking some heat on Twitter for not giving David Wright any love. Uh, you know what? David Wright was just a completely different circumstance. I mean, 
it was sad in the sense that, you know, the injury hampered him and he was just never the same player after that neck injury. And, and I had looked up the injury at the time and there was no way I, he was going to come back. And for him to have come back after that and show that he could still play at least a little bit more for the Mets fans, I, I think. And I was there that weekend covering the game, how, how quickly that turned. I was there the day after and I did see him. Um, he didn't play that game, but I did see him and he was signing autograph for fans and everything. And So, yes, David Wright, yes. But I just think that since I was actually at the Derek Jr. game, I think that for me resounds a little bit more. I got some tweets at at Navy Long Islander, L Islander, tweeted me and said the John Tavares send-off was unexpected, but welcoming back him back was a blast. I was at that game at the barn, hashtag Isles. I got one from, this is at, this is at my Twitter page, at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N. I got one from Chris Finn at CGDAT136. He tweeted me and he said he hated to see Patrick Ewing retire. Another legend. Head out to Massapequa. Pete, you're on the fan. Hey, Danielle. How you doing? Good. How are you, Pete? Yeah, if you don't mind me asking real quick, um, what do you want regularly? Do you have a regular spot? Yeah, my regular spot is it's uh, technically Saturday night, but it's really tech- Sunday morning, 2 to 6. Right. Okay. Yeah, I was going to say that's the only time I ever hear you, really. Yeah. yeah. I, I work the bartend and... Okay. Yeah. That's good to know. I, I enjoy the show. Thank you. Um, if you have a minute, I just, uh, a, a couple of points. You sure? Uh, funny, uh, I totally agree with you. ended the last segment on about uh, Gates and how it's so true. I think you could at least agree uh, Bowles is a good coordinator, right? Yep. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. And proof is in the pudding in Miami this year. I mean, it couldn't be more so. Um Having said that, uh, you were t- discussing send-offs. Yep. Um, my little story real quick sure. is I was at Mariano's last game. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you remember, they didn't pitch him on the road the last few days because they were out of it. Yep. And he was, uh, you know, Jesus and the whole thing. That was, that was awesome. That was great. I uh, still have the tickets up, you know. Um, and then I, I wanted to ask you a couple of um, – I, I see these uh, trade proposals, if you indulge me for a second, for uh, Josh Hader. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reliever from Milwaukee, both the Mets and the Yankees. I'm curious to see what you think, uh, if these would be enough to get them. I'm a Yankee fan, but uh, I'll start with the Mets first. Uh, um, I mean, it, go ahead. Yeah, I, I was going to say, I thought you might even think, uh, uh, you might think it's too much, and I'll see what you think. Uh, I was, I'd be willing to give <laughs> up. And I say this because Hayda has, I think four years of controllability. Uh, he's pitched around a two, four year rate, three years consistently, uh, with no, you know, high marks, no, no ups, um, like a lot of uh, relievers have that one bad year uh, yet, right? Well, I, um, I, I'm just looking at his postseason numbers. What, what concerns me right off the bat, an 18 ERA in the postseason, but otherwise, yeah, okay. otherwise, right. it's 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 low, yeah. Okay, fair point. Yeah, I, and I didn't catch that. Um, I mean, obviously from watching, you see it. But um, so I was thinking Dominic Smith. I was thinking JD Davis and or Nimmo. Probably the Mets would probably prefer to give up Nimmo. I would think, and um, possibly yeah, and Lugo. That sounds you, you like a lot. True? If I'm the it Mets, does, that right? sounds like a lot to me. I, I think. I, we're playing GM now here on McCartan After Minute. I think if you're the Mets, I think Dom Smith doesn't really have a role on that team. I would go Dom That's Smith, 
J.D. Davis. And, yeah. I mean, the Mets have an excess of, of starting pitching, and, and that's the problem. And they just got Walker right. and Porcello, so does that make who, – who makes that indis- indispensable? Is it Matt? Is Matt now I, indispensable? But would you you'd rather give him up than Lula? Uh, I think in the Mets' current situation, where they are so starting pitcher heavy, um, yeah, and, Walker and, now in bullpen yeah. Baron, I th- I think I think it would be Matt over Lugo, yeah, because Lugo could okay. Lugo could then if if it doesn't work out in the bullpen, he could also be a starter too. So he gives you a little bit more flexibility than Matt's could. Sure, sure. And then to um, regarding the Yankees. Uh, so as a Yankee fan, back to your point about the Brewers' role, mm-hmm. they do have a, uh, an opening at third base for sure. Um, and and so Duhar, what I, I, yeah, right. Yeah, I was going to say, do you think Andujar straight up gets it done? Um, no, I don't think they do because everybody knows. I mean, if you're the, if you're the Brewers now, you know, put on your Brewers cap and you're saying, okay. Am I going to get? Right. Uh, am I going to get Justin Duhar? Yeah, he's coming off yeah. an injury season. We don't know exactly what he is. I don't think, from their perspective, so, straight up would would be good. No. Do you think a mid level prospect with him gets it done? Can um, I have one other thing. Yeah, no, that's okay. Uh, mid level, I would say high to mid. I would say high to mid with Andrew okay. Duhar. Yeah, that's what I would say. Not 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 Debbie Garcia, but some not Esteban Florial, mm. but. Something a little below that. A little below that. That's what I would say. Would maybe get it done from from. But then again, see the thing is with this this Yankee thing is everybody knows the Yankees farm system is like you know very prosperous. So they're going to try and get everything they can try and get from them. You know they're going to ask for everybody. Absolutely. No, and I get it. I would too if I was up. Yeah. Uh, The other thing I just wanted to bring up is I hear a lot of uh, trying to dump uh, uh, Jay Happ's salary. Mm Hmm. As a young fan, I and I don't know what's happening with Domingo Herman. So yeah, I don't. Yeah, uh, nobody knows. There has been nothing right. coming out of the Herman situation at all. So I'm assuming at least at least till the All Star break, he's probably not coming back. Well, uh, just as a fan. Yeah. Well, the, uh, latest, the latest I had read was that he was seeking treatment or something, which makes me think that it is very long term and very serious, whatever it is. Yeah. Right. Right. So I'm not factoring him in. Uh, Montgomery, perhaps at the end, Luizic at the end. Uh, but J.A. Happ is a very, I think, competent uh, just starter. He's making seventeen million though, which is, makes him a little unattractive. I mm-hmm. get that. Yeah. And you want to give someone a. Uh, but what I what I noticed is last year he pitched one hundred and sixty one in the third innings. The year before that he pitched one hundred and seventy five innings. They, I noticed in his contract, there's a vesting option. So everyone's saying, oh, you could trade him and eat a few bucks of the salary, maybe $5 because he's, you know, a reasonable pitcher, wait till March or April when people are desperate. They mm-hmm. won't have to eat as much. Mm-hmm. But I noticed they have a vesting option. If he makes something like, I think it's 25 starts and or uh, whichever comes first, 165 innings, right. um, uh, another 17 automatically kicks in. So, I mean, let's just say the Yankees use, uh, you know, let's just say, for instance, I, I don't know, Paxton, Tanaka, somebody goes down and half gets off to a good start, kind of like he did when he first got here. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that that's quite the predicament, you know. I mean, if, if you're looking to trade him as a salary dump and he's pitching to, I don't know, a four-year-a, you know, nothing crazy, but is, I, I don't know. Do you think he's worth it, it to, to end up hanging on to, for, you know? 
Yeah. And I, I, I guess I'll leave it at that. Yeah, Pete, and, thanks and for the call. Stay nice talking to you. Thanks. thanks. Uh, take care. Great call, Pete. I, I appreciate when you guys come with, with facts and stuff like that. Uh, the problem I see with Jay Happ and the Yankees is, is the following. The fact that he is so wildly inconsistent. And when you look at 2018, I'm just looking at some postseason, because uh, the Yankees, it doesn't matter what gets done, really. I say it doesn't matter, but it doesn't matter what gets done in the regular season. What, what matters to the Yankees is what you can do in the postseason. So when you look at Jay Happ in the postseason, with the Yankees, let's just say, oh, it's just wildly inconsistent. He's got a 22 ERA in 2018, and he's got a 338 in 2019. So what what is it? Like, Who is he? And I think that... I think the Yankees should hold on to him, at least for the time being. And if, until they at least figure out what's going on with Herman, until they at least figure out who Jordan Montgomery exactly is. And at that point in time, you can compare your options. And I'm talking maybe like July, the beginning of July, end of June. You can look at, uh, you can look at um, Hap, you can look at Herman, and you can look at Montgomery. And you could see who is going to fill that role. And if Hap isn't at the top of that, I mean, Herman is a really good pitcher. And unfortunately for him, he made a really bad decision. So if I'm rolling with any of the three of them, I'm going Herman, which to me then makes Hap dispensable. And at that point in time, you can kind of flip him at the deadline for something that you might need. And I, like I said in the open, the Yankees are in tweaking mode right now. They, they're just tinkering. So you could flip Hap for, you know, a, a piece that you meet, might need as a backup, uh, I don't know, a backup, let's say, second baseman, let's say, and provided that they don't get panicked. And then what happens is you can you can get some prospects back in, in return for whoever it is. It's somebody that's, you know, borderline contender looking for that. Hap could be a third starter somewhere, a number two somewhere. Just not here in New York, with the Yankees at least. And that's just my opinion. But I think right at the beginning, you do not make a deal right in the beginning, spring training, first half of the season at all. I think you wait it out and see what you can get in return for him and, and who would fit where in the rotation. I think Herman, when he comes back, is, is going to be that fit. And so... We've got some Mets proposed trades. I know um, the Annalise is just getting better and better, and the Mets are kind of standing pat. The Yankees are in tinkering mode. Jets fans have had enough. And then there's Eli Manning and the Giants. Lots, a lot more to do tonight on the carton after midnight. Um, hit the calls. Kevin's waiting, waiting for you, waiting for it to ring. 877-337-6666. We'll take your calls after the break. Guess who's back? Guess who's back? That's me. I'm Daniel McCartan. McCartan After Midnight here on WFA. And I think this might be a good time to say it with this with this song. It's a great song to say that guess who's going to be back tomorrow night? Me. I'm going to be back here on WFAM from 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. So just so you know, I'll be back again tomorrow night. It's pretty cool. Um, and I'm still getting some more tweets at Coach MCCARTAN about your most iconic players, you know, New York sports players, uh, send-off. Um, Jack, it's at Jack DPMJD, said he's old enough to have gone to the mix send-off in the Bronx. He took a lap around the field in a golf cart. My childhood sports hero. Thanks. And then you got um, 
at Michael B underscore 96 says, Coach McCarran, I don't know if you're a soccer fan, but this past season the Red Bulls saw their team captain, Luis Robles, and franchise-leading goal scorer uh, leave. When they lost in the playoffs, it was surreal and hit a ton of fans since it felt like it was over. So obviously we hit a little nostalgia, uh, I don't know, nostalgia nerve uh, that we can keep going in throughout the show. So 877-337-6666. I would like to talk a little bit about the New York football Jets. Listen, if the fire Adam Gaze banner flying behind a plane up the Hudson River wasn't enough, Jets fans are at it again. So if you're heading into MetLife Stadium by car on Sunday, you're likely to see one of three billboards with these messages. Fire Adam Gaze, save the Jets. (laughs) With Adam Gaze's face with Joker makeup on it. And this isn't just the, the work of one lone, crazy, rich fan. This was a GoFundMe fundraiser that has 207 donors and almost 2,000 shares. And that was from NYSF Mag. So location number one is actually a very fancy LED board just north of 16E on the New Jersey Turnpike. Mark that down. Location two is Route 495 at Kennedy Boulevard going away from the Lincoln Tunnel, which I, I might try and catch that one tonight. Location 3 is uh, Route 3 westbound. It's a digital billboard about 10 minutes from that Lincoln Tunnel. So if you go that way, you're going to see two of them. Uh, This is the same group of people that organized another crowdsourced billboard in 2014 with the Fire John Idzik, also in New Jersey, which I did see. I have a picture somewhere. Idzik was fired on December 29, 2014. you got to give it to him. Jets fans are a very passionate bunch. Their goal is to put enough pressure on their ownership to have head coach Adam Gase's uh, meet the same fate as John Edzik did. Fired. And after making history with losses this season to not just one, but two winless teams, Miami and Cincinnati, they might be onto something. And I was talking to someone earlier today. Who's a, he said he's a, uh, a very passionate Jets fan, but there comes a time every single year where he turns the game off. And he turned it off this year after the Dolphins game. <laughs> I mean, t- you know, turn the season off after that Dolphins loss. And I brought up the Cincinnati, and he said he didn't even watch. I said it might be better that way. But I wish I can ask Adam Gase right now. If you're listening, Adam Gase, you seem like a guy that doesn't sleep much. But So if you're listening, I invite you to call my show, 877-337-6666. Okay, and here come the the prank phone calls, I know. But (laughs) I would love to know what his thoughts are on the billboards and what he's going to be thinking to himself when he sees them, when he drives into the stadium this weekend. Because the players, the ownership, and the coaching staff will inevitably see them. And because they all live in our area, obviously. So, Kevin, if you get any Adams from New Jersey, you put them right through. Sounds good to me. Any Adams guy in Jersey, uh, I'm ready for you. And Jamal, if you're listening to Adams, you, you can call. In. You can call in too. Um, but the point I was I was briefly making out on one of the phone calls before, I think it was with Jeff, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Adam Gase's former Dolphins are absolutely surging without him. Surging. I've got a case study here, guys. You know me by now. 
Tannehill, Parker, Drake, Gesicki, Amendola. They are all playing better now than they ever did under Adam Gase. Which, if I'm a Jets fan, I'm going to be really queasy about the future with this coach moving forward. He's lost the locker room. We've talked about that. We've we've talked to Chad Cascadden about losing the locker room. And he knows he knows it because he's been there with the co-tight days. And you know, just Tannehill's rise after Marcus Mariota is the headliner of all of this. It's 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 the title slide for your PowerPoint presentation on this case study. Because I just I, I don't understand how Ryan Tannehill He's working with first-year offensive coordinator Arthur Smith in the Titans. With out, or, well, let's just say with Adam Gase, he won. He was thirteen and eleven, just about five hundred. Without Adam Gase, he won six of his first eight starts. With Adam Gase, twenty-one interceptions. Without Adam Gase, six. His completion rate. Without Adam Gase is up, I'm going to do a quick math here, about 7%. Yards per attempt are up two, yard, two full yards to 9.5. And, and the only statistic that um, is not better without Gase is the t- total touchdowns. But that can come for any different reason. That can come from the fact that um, Adam Gase doesn't ever like to run the ball. So with him, the numbers may be a little inflated. That could be because in any number of reasons down in, in, in the Titans. So that doesn't really bother me. Okay. You say, okay, Ryan Tannehill. All right, we'll give her that one. Okay, how about Devontae Parker next? I only looked at him because they said when I was watching the Jets game, uh, Jets-Dolphins, they said that he's having a career year, which I was like, well, that's, that's kind of like a head-scratcher because, I don't know, didn't he just have an offensive guru coach in Miami? And how is he having a, a, a great year this year? In fact, Devontae Parker has set career highs in receptions, yards, and touchdowns. I mean, those are the big three if you're a wide receiver, receptions, yards, and touchdowns, without Adam Gase this year. And don't forget that Adam Gase wanted to trade Devontae Parker at many different times during his three years in Miami. And lo and behold, this year, Parker just signed a $40 million four-year extension. I think it was last weekend, actually. And while Ryan Tannehill is working with a first-year offensive coordinator with the Titans, Devontae Parker is also working with a first-year offensive coordinator in Miami. And Devontae Parker, he, he has his average per catch, 16.2 yards, is the highest since his 2015 rookie year, before Adam Gase contaminated him. And here's the most blatant stat for Devontae Parker as the Titans highlights are on the TV right now. With Gase, Devontae Parker played 39 games, scored six touchdowns. Without Gase, 14 games, eight touchdowns. So in, theoretically, what, 14? It's like in, in a third of the games, he scored more touchdowns. I mean, come on. Does that not show you that Adam Gase doesn't know what he's doing? How about a running back? We know that Le'Veon Bell is going to have his revenge game, so to speak, 
this weekend versus the Steelers, but it, he's not going to use him. <laughs> it's not going to be much of a revenge game if, you, if you're not playing. So my case study number three leads me to Kenyon Drake. Kenyon Drake had double-digit carries only 10 games in three seasons with Adam Gase. He's had six double-digit carry games in all six games with the Cardinals. And last week, he too put up career-high numbers. Career-high four touchdowns in a win versus the Browns. Are you not convinced yet? Okay, case study four. Danny Amendola. Averaged 9.7 yards per catch with Gase. With the lowly Lions, who are 3-10-1, 11.1 yards per catch. Now you might be thinking, all right, she's 4-for-4. Four four. What about Mike Kosicki? Second-round tight end in his second season. He's been playing in under a first-year offensive coordinator, don't forget, in Miami. He's been used, let's round this off, 20% more. He's got double the amount of catches, double the amount of yards, and he had zero touchdowns under Adam Gase. Zero. Big, fat, zero. And without Adam Gase, and if with a first-year coordinator, two. Two touchdowns. How is it a revenge game if he's not going to use them? If Gase ain't going to use them? Well, it's a revenge game in the sense that uh, Le'Veon Bell will be wearing a different uniform, and he will be in the stadium, and that's how it will be revenge. That's it. That's it. That's the start. The highlight will be the pregame. Yeah, the, the build-up. Because you're going to see Le'Veon Bell with a coat on on the sidelines. Yeah. Yep. I don't know what kind of point that Adam Gase has to prove with, with, without using Le'Veon Bell uh, and, then, and then using the other two running backs like, like he's never run the ball before in his life in the, in the next week. I just don't understand that. I really don't. So you've seen. I've presented to you. Gase's former Dolphins are surging without him. A case study of Ryan Tannehill. A case study of Devontae Parker. Kenyon Drake. Danny Amendola. And Mike Gesicki. If you think Adam Gase should keep his job moving forward, I challenge you to call in. Jeff in Woodbridge, you're on the fan. Hi, Daniel. How are you doing tonight? Good. How are you? All right. I got a quick comment and a question. Yeah. Tom Wise is on a... You talk about your uh, icon, icon uh, retiring. Yes. Uh, I'm a big Bears fan, and uh, Dan Hampton was a defensive end. Uh, his last game was against the Giants, and the Giants just whitewashed him. I believe it was a 90 season mm-hmm. uh, in the playoffs. It's like 30 to 3. But uh, going to your point about watching like Jeter retire and part of your childhood, that's how it was for me with Dan Hampton retire. I can never be, even be an emotional as a kid. Yeah. Because of the fact that it's like, you know, it's part of your, that's who I watched growing up. Um, the whole thing with Adam Gase, being a Bears fan, you know, they brought him in when we had color, and, you know, he always had ties with color, off of color success, but what did color actually do? So, like, my question to you is, maybe you know better than me, like, what, who has Gase actually, you know, developed at, at that position that would give him the right to actually be a head coach in the NFL? Well, uh, Jeff, that, that's a great question because um, no one really seems to know. It seems like he got the, the resounding yes from, from Peyton Manning, and that's all, that's all it took was Peyton Manning endorsed him. But Peyton Manning, if you remember at the time, was, was an established quarterback. I bet you Peyton Manning taught Adam Gase some things. 
I really do. So when having worked with him, Peyton Manning comes in, gives him the nod of approval. Jets are like, the Jets are all over it. Meanwhile, you had Mike McCarthy who actually developed or helped develop Aaron Rodgers. And they left him out to dry the Jets. I, I just don't understand it. I really don't. Me, the Bon Jovi, and Kevin are back with you. I'm McCartan after midnight, and Kevin just went in my ear. Tell him what you just said to me. Adam Gates needs to be living on a prayer, so <laughs> why not? Perfect song. I love when the song fits fits what we're trying to do, and I love it. So, so does Pat Shermer, though. Yeah, and Pat Shermer, for whatever reason, is, is more living on a prayer than Adam Gates is. I just don't understand that, really. I don't get it. Who would have thought that in October? <laughs> oh, well... While I'm trying to make a segue here, like while Adam Gase is living on a prayer, uh, Sam Darnold has been se- setting records, and, and this is short, and I know you're on hold, Kevin, I'll get to you in one second, um, 877-337-6666. Sam Darnold is already setting records, Jets records, in, 20, in just 24 games. Sam Darnold is number 10 on the Jets' top 10 career passing list, which to me, is it, actually really amazing, especially with, one, how bad they've been, two, how much he's been out sick and with injury, three, how terrible the offensive line looks each week, better as of late, though, and four, <laughs> most importantly for me, how brutal his head coach is. And he only needs 223 yards to pass his rookie mark, definitely doable, Right now he's sitting at 5,507 passing yards. So up next for him to, to become number nine on the all-time Jets career passing list, believe it or not, is, is, is Geno Smith at number nine. And Sam Darnold needs 186 yards, I did the math, to pass him. So Sam, this is something to look forward for. Um, Sam Darnold could and should move to ninth on the all-time Jets career passing list on Sunday, which is really incredible. It's, it's only his second season. And Adam Gase has not been the quarterback whisperer that everybody thinks he is. Kevin, Farmingdale, you're on the fan. Danielle, thank you so much for taking my call. Thanks for holding over the break. Thanks. Oh, not a problem at all. I can't thank you enough. Um, you just were talking about Adam Gase for yeah. a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, you just created so many more questions for me. Anyway, first thing I wanted to say, I don't understand why Adam Gase doesn't use Le'Veon Bell more with, you know, the RPOs, dump passes, etc. I know he's been injured. The second thing I wanted to say, I don't know why everybody is such a hater on Adam Gase. It's his first year, and our quarterback had mono for four weeks. Granted, he came back strong, the Cowboy win, you know, then the, you know, the stunker the next game, but... I don't know why we're not giving this guy a little bit of a longer leash. Kevin, let me ask you this. What is your number one reason for retaining a guy like Adam Gase? Change. Change takes a long time. I mean, we, we, we have to commit and give him at least two years. I mean, we keep changing and changing. Nothing, I think, changes. It takes time. So when, when GM goes out and gets the most expensive premier running back on the market and Adam Gaze actually makes an example out of not using him how, how do you defend that I can't argue that that was my initial question why I wanted to call I don't understand when Le'Veon Bell is healthy 
why he is not touching the ball close to 30 times. Yep. 20 and like eight receptions. Like, I don't, I don't get it. And that's the thing. He, he's a dynamic. He's a runner and he's a pass catcher. I, I just uh, don't understand why he's not being used. I'm with you. I, I don't get it. That was the original reason why I'm calling. Mm-hmm. I don't comprehend why he is not touching the ball 22 to 28 times a game. I don't get it. I, that's, that, that's, I don't know either. And, and that comes from, Kevin, thanks for the call and thanks for the hold. That comes from Adam Gase's game planning. Oh, maybe, Kevin, I should have had you on. Uh, one more question for you. How do you figure, how do you defend the fact that Adam Gase has lost two games to winless teams? The oh, I think they were 0-7 at the time, Dolphins, and the 0-11 Bengals. Like, I'm saying the guy did not go home have Thanksgiving dinner with his family because he's making a game plan for the Bengals game. And, and guess what? They didn't even see the red zone. They did not even see the red zone, the Jets. I, I just I don't understand how any how how you can defend that. You you drop two games to two winless teams. Sure, change takes time, but I have no trust in Adam Gase being able to engineer or or guide the change happening for the New York Jets. And and Sam Darnold's best years are going to be wasted while they try to figure it out. Miriam, Forest Hills, you're on the fan. I haven't talked to you before, so I'll tell you. All right. I think that the Jets will be fine if people would leave them alone. Every team goes through stuff like this, okay? It doesn't matter who it is because you have to allow people to learn how they can. Miriam, let me stop you right there. The Jets have been going through this, as you say, since 1960. Well, that's all right with me because they've changed how many coaches. Every team changes coaches. It's not wrong to change coaches because you have to have a system that works. Okay? I'm an Islander fan. Barry Trotz has been the best Islander coach since Al Arbor. True. And it took him a long time to be here. But you know what? It's going to keep on going. But it also took an ownership group that, that invested in, in, well, in a plan and everybody being on board. That's the same ownership that invested in the now not-so-good devils. Okay? And you have, if, you, if you're a fan of the Rangers, you have a college coach who has just come in and haven't done that well either. And the point is every system, every team has to go through their growing pains. And it takes it takes time. It's not an instant thing. It's not microwave cooking. What's your best uh, defense of Adam Gates besides that it's... That it's My it's best defense of Adam Gates is I never heard of him until now. And right now, <laughs> he's learning how to play with people. No, he, he's been people. a head coach before. He's but, actually... but not here, in another place. <laughs> you know... Oh. In another place. In Miami. So what? It doesn't mean he could have been a head coach in Cuba. It doesn't matter. It's who you, how you deal with people. I have to deal with people differently than you do because I don't have any vision. And I have to have people come and ask me, how do I do this? How do I do that? And I have to explain it all the time. So I've gotten used to doing it. People have to get used to say answering questions about other people who don't know who they are. So let me ask you this. When, when, when Sam Darnold says he's seeing ghosts on the sideline, do you think that Adam Gase explained the game plan well enough to him? Maybe, maybe not. But the maybe, point maybe. Is, maybe. Maybe, maybe not. But the point I'm saying... Wait a minute. No, no. The point I'm saying is if your quarterback doesn't know what, what a defense is presenting to him at the line of scrimmage and in play... What, you ask about what it is. Okay. I don't know what ghosts are, okay? Ghosts, you know, I'll tell you what ghosts are. Ghosts are, are, are disguises by the defense to trick a quarterback into making mistakes. Well, every every team has that. I read But you have to be prepared for that. Yeah, but not, not you're not always going you're not always going to know what it is because they may change it. 
just like you change whatever you change. They oh change God. their plans all the time. Oh, my God. You're a head coach in the NFL. You can't, You have to adjust to that. He's the worst third-quarter quarter, uh, coach in the entire NFL. Oh, well, okay, but... He makes no adjustments. That's not... Well, right. Maybe he doesn't know how to. But you don't know that now. Maybe next year it'll be different. No. I, Miriam, I'm sorry. I, I love the fact that you're a woman and you're calling my show, but Miriam, you, you're off the deep end a little bit. Adam Gase is the worst third-quarter coach in the entire NFL. Okay. He doesn't know how to make an adjustment. The best, the Jets score on their first drive most of the time. You know why that is? Because Adam Gase isn't the one calling the plays. That is a that's a script that they're following. That is made up of many different coaches collaborating on that. As soon as Adam Gase gets the menu in his hands, it's all downhill from there. And Adam and and, and Sam Darnold, despite all this, is doing well. Oh, my God. John Booten, you're on the fan. Hey, how's it going, Danielle? Oh, man, John, save me. So I literally just want to reiterate what you're saying because <laughs> I'm just confused how this guy still has a job. I know. First of all, first of all, here we're looking at Jason Garrett, right, of the Cowboys. Yeah. He's on the hot seat, and the team can still win the NFC East. <laughs> and here we look at Adam Gaze. Here we look at Adam Gaze. And he's the first coach in NFL history to lose to two winless teams. Yes. And this guy is safe. How is that possible? I don't know. Please tell me how that is possible. And look, you look at the other side of the ball. We have Greg Williams. Yeah. And you can argue he has more defensive injuries I on that side it. of the I've ball said, I've said than that. the offensive side. I know. And Greg Williams, and Greg Williams has somehow – came up with a plan to have this defense be the 7th-ranked defense in the league. Second, How is that possible? The second-best rush he defense. Was not, and, and was he labeled a defensive guru? No. Was he labeled a defensive genius? He was not. So it, it just goes to show you how – how. I mean, I, I don't even know what to say about this guy. I don't even know how this guy still has a job after all those horrible losses in the first couple weeks of the season. If you're labeled an offensive guru – Okay, if you're labeled an offensive genius, it doesn't matter who you have on the offensive side of the ball. It, it doesn't matter. Right. If, if you're an offensive genius, if, if you're an offensive guru, you can put out me, you can put out you. He would coach us up. He would you know, deliver a game plan that is competent against, you know, whoever you throw out there for an NFL defense. The Cincinnati Bengals. Yes. And, for example, look at Mike Tomlin. What has Mike Tomlin dealt with? He's on his third-string quarterback, and he's bringing the Steelers to a freaking wild card. Yeah. How is that possible? Please tell me. And here, oh, wait, oh, wait. Here, oh, Adam Gaze, the offensive guru he is. But we can't even freaking win a game. We can't even put together an offensive drive in the couple, yeah. you know, first couple weeks of the season. It just is it's mind-blowing. It's frustrating. Obviously, Chris Johnson, the priority is not to win a game. Yeah. Obviously, that's that's a priority. We, we don't want to win. That's a priority. John, I appreciate the call. Thank you very much for your passion. You, you meet my passion level with this because, as you said, and I'm watching the highlights. They just were, were coming on the Steelers. Not only is he working with a third-string quarterback, Juju Smith-Schuster has, I know because he's on my fantasy team, he's been basically non-existent this entire season. I've actually benched him. 
my free league. Don't get all excited. It's a free league, okay? I, I lost in the playoffs last week anyway. Um, but the Steelers, if you look right now, they're 8-6. and six. They're the sixth seed projection right now in the playoffs, wild card round. And the Cowboys, like, that was a great point with Jason Garrett, who's quarterback, I mean, who's coach. I'm sorry, I'm getting all excited. The Cowboys, who's coach Jason Garrett, is on the hot seat, and they've got a record of 7-7, seven and seven, set to win the NFC East, in my opinion. And they're the projected fourth seed in the NFC East. I just don't understand. Miriam, I don't, I, if you're still listening, I don't understand. I don't get it. The one thing that I don't get, she said she made a comment about Adam Gase, and then she told you she didn't know who Adam Gase was until today. I, thank you. You should have saw the look on my face. Thank you. <laughs> Going back to that, too. As if my case study of all the players that he used to coach who are now having career years elsewhere, or, or not elsewhere, with Tannehill's elsewhere, but the other ones are with the Dolphins still, with a different offensive coordinator, as if that, as if she wasn't listening to that. Adam Gase had a, a failed attempt in, in Miami. He's having a failed attempt here in New York. And the Jets, see, the, the, the best part of this whole thing is that the Jets passed on Mike McCarthy, Super Bowl winning coach who, who, who developed Aaron Rodgers. Um, Aaron Rodgers is a great talent. I know that. So is Dan, uh, Sam Darnold. But he has experience in this. And Adam Gase clearly just doesn't. Or says he doesn't and doesn't. Ugh, guys got me all worked up. More calls after the break. 877-337-6666. I am Danielle McCartan on WFAN Radio. Sports Radio 101.9 FM. And Sports Radio 66. Oh, man, we have had a, a, a wild ride a little bit here tonight on McCartan After Midnight. I'm Daniel McCartan on the fan with you until 6 a.m. I hope you guys are still hanging in there. Listen, uh, we just had a call from Miriam. Miriam, you might go down as one of my favorite callers because Miriam called up defending Adam Gase. One, she she said she didn't know who he was before he got here. Um, and, and it's... Kevin, what, what was the other thing? What was the other thing we were talking about in the break? She didn't know who he was before he got here and uh, something else. I forget. I, oh, oh, that she didn't know, know what ghosts were is what it was. She, she didn't know what ghosts were. So I had to explain her, you know, ghosts are, are um, let's just call it a derivative of a player not knowing the game plan, basically, and things being masked so that he, you know, does, you know is, is coerced into making mistakes. And um, I had a tweet that I, I really am still laughing at out loud, and it came from uh, at John Ambrose 11. He wrote, <laughs> he wrote, so nice of Adam Gase's mother to call into your show. <laughs> I got another tweet from, from Robert, and he says, she was a tough call boy. Miriam must be a relative of Adam Gase. Um, so there you have it. So Adam Gase's mom might have made a, a, an appearance on, on my show tonight. And uh, Jets fans have had enough. If you're, <laughs> look at all the calls now, 877-337-6666. Get on board. We'll talk some Adam Gase, some Eli, some uh, some Pat Shermer if you want. But um, if you're going to the Jets game on Sunday, um, and if you're driving there, which <laughs> according to Adam Gase or, and the Jets players, they're expecting 50% of the stadium to be filled with Steelers fans. 
um, and that's the Adam Gase ex- uh, excuse train, has already left the station, you will find that you will see three or any one of three billboards with Adam Gase's face with Joker makeup on it and a fire Adam Gase save the Jets slogan to go with it. Billy, you're on the fan. Hey, Danielle. How are you tonight? Oh, man, Billy. What, what's going on here tonight? Oh, my God. Uh, first, I wanted to just start off a couple weeks ago. I called, and I, I was praying that the Yankees would sign Garrett Cole on my birthday. I remember. And they, in fact, did it. Did agree to terms on my birthday. I was December thinking 10th. about you. I was thinking about you. Yes, uh, I really did. I said, oh, my God, they did it so for his birthday. I, yep. I, I, I want to thank Brian Cashman for that. <laughs> I think he had a, a big hand in that. Best birthday gifts ever. Yeah, maybe he might have been listening that night. Maybe he just wanted to deliver <sighs> it directly to you. <laughs> so um, I should have been asleep by now, but the, I was I was streaming, listening to the Miriam call. Yeah. And I, I had to call in. Um, What's your best uh, defense of Adam Gates besides that it's... That the, it's my it's best not. defense of Adam Gates is I never heard of him until now. So, see, I'm a Giants fan, so me, me personally, I'm going to go with my next gift that I want. I'm hoping that it's going to be uh, Lewis Riddick as the GM and uh, Mike McCarthy as the head coach. So yeah, we're going to see if that comes keep, through keep for, for next year. Keep, but yeah, Keep dreaming, Billy. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm going to go with that. But the, the nerve she struck me was with the – she was talking about uh, Barry Trotz yeah. with the Islanders. Yeah. When the Islanders got Barry Trotz and Lou Amarillo, any hockey fan knows that's like a powerhouse you start anything with. You could, me and you could go out there and skate under those two and probably start a, a, a franchise. When she brought up the Rangers, that's yeah. where it struck my heart. I'm a, I'm a diehard <laughs> Rangers fan. It struck my heart. But the Rangers, <laughs> the Rangers did it the right way, and that's what killed me with her, besides everything else. And listen, Miriam... If you're still listening, you seem like a very sweet lady, yeah, but... I agree. The the Rangers did it the right way, and a lot of franchises should take notes on that. They said, we are going through a rebuild. Please stick with us. And they sent that to all I remember. of their season yep. ticket holders. Yep. And then, you know what they did? They got a great draft pick. They spent some money, and they're starting to put it together. And she blamed it on a coach that was from the uh, NCAA who was one of the top coaches in college. It's not like they got Joe Schmo from Adam the Gase Burton Community College. <laughs> like, yeah. like it's, he was one of the top coaches that they went after, got him. Okay, what's the next? Let's go to the draft. Let's go with international players. They're putting together a young, fast team. They're doing the right thing. And then when they – that was the decision they made, they set it to their season ticket holder. I know, yeah. I'm not a season ticket holder. I'm, I'm a guy that sits back at home or hangs out with a couple buddies and watches it on TV. I don't have tickets to these games, but I respect that they do it the right way. In all four major sports, these the franchises should do it that way. Yeah, I agree with you. Tell everybody that you are going to go through a rebuild. Mm-hmm. That was the one that, st- of every point she brought up, I listen, I would love to get on her about the whole Adam Gase thing. I'm a Jets fan. As a sports fan in general in New York, which is the zenith of sports, 
for city wise. I want everybody to be competitive in the city. Me too. But yeah. when she, when she brought up the whole Rangers thing, that's where you know what I have to I have to call in. I I've got a vent. <laughs> Well, I'm never going to go to sleep tonight. Oh. i got to get it off my chest. Billy, well, thank you for calling in. I appreciate it. <laughs> hey, have a good night. You too. Bye. Oh, my God. I've got more tweets and more DMs about Miriam than anything else tonight so far. <laughs> Nick, in Huntington, New York, you are on the fan. Hey, Daniela. First time caller. With the conversation, you're not implying that Jason Garrett's a good coach, are you? No, I'm not. It's just it's. Just I mean, come on. No. At seven and seven, they're they're poised to win the NFC East. Yeah, but they should be like you know. You're talking about the Islanders and these rebuilds. The Cowboys are young; it's their time. And he's horrible. He's just going back to the catch game with Des. He's horrible. Mm. Okay, he needs to go. Anybody on this station, everybody, he's the worst. And I just want him gone. But they can make a run. I think they can make a run. And uh, you know, I don't. I this coach though. I don't know. It's, it's all about him. I don't know. know. I think. I why think. would they? Why would they? You know, Chris Sims was saying today. He was saying today how they're top five in offense, top seven in defense. It's all management. I mean, yeah. did everybody see the San, You know, the, the New Orleans game this year. The New England game. I would have fired him after the Buffalo game. George Steinman have fired him. See you later. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. Yep. So I just, you kind of sound like you're implying that he was a good coach. No. That's what I'm calling No, 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 no. No, okay, not so at all. What do, you, what do you think of him as a coach? Uh, Jason Garrett? Uh, yeah. Uh, I think he's wasting, like you said, a lot of the young talent on his team. And I think he's not putting his players in the best position to succeed, for sure. And, and his young superstars in Ezekiel Elliott and his young superstar in, well, let's not go superstar, but with Dak Prescott, you know. I just and Amari's been pretty good. Amari's had Amari some has, big numbers. Yes, he's been good. He's been a great acquisition, actually, for that team. He, he's uh, they might have four Pro Bowls on their offensive line. I mean, their offensive line is really good. Why, if you were a, if you were the coach, wouldn't you come out of the eye and run the ball every yep. time? You know, just yep. run up. We're going to push you around. It doesn't make any sense. Yep. But that would set up the play action instead of letting the pass set up the run. It makes. I hate when I see Zeke lined up three yards in the backfield. It's yep. all. Yep, exactly. It's like you know. I mean, come on. But uh, and just one thing about the Rangers. I got a Ranger tattoo on me. The 94 team, as much as it means, a lot of mercenaries on that team. Mm-hmm. Just remember that. They didn't, they didn't, that was all my elites, Richter, and uh, that's about it. Everybody else is a mercenary. And remember, Messier left, too. So, But uh, nice show, and uh, get rid of the cat. Take it easy. Have a great night. Go Cowboys. <laughs> Bye, Nick. Definitely a Cowboys fan. He was, for sure. Uh, and it's just so funny. You know, he said the Cowboys are going to make a run. I mean, he's a Cowboys fan. I don't see the Cowboys making a run. I mean... I will be the first to eat my words if they do, in fact, make a run. But when you look at the, the, the playoff picture right now, you got to think that the, it's going to be a Ravens. If the season ended today, it'd be a Ravens-Seahawks Super Bowl. Those are the two projected first seeds. And the Cowboys, who can't even outright win the NFC East, which nobody seems to want to win among the four teams that are there, I mean, they're going to go up against teams that have double-digit wins from here on out. You know, if they do make the playoffs, if they do win the East. So because it, you're looking at the 49ers with 11 wins. You're looking at the Vikings with 10. You're looking at the Saints with 11. And if you are, what, you're the fourth seed. So theoretically, if you had to go into any one of those places, maybe not so much the 49ers, but if you have to go into the dome of the Vikings and the dome of the Saints, I don't think you can come out with a win there. 
I really don't. I think I think the Cowboys, if they do in fact, if they are in fact the representative from the NFC East, they're going to run into a buzzsaw with any team that they that they meet. So, I just wish the Giants could have won more than what is it going to take seven, eight, nine games to win the NFC East? I wish the Giants could have put a couple of those together. Um, obviously, more of your calls after the break. Eight seven seven three three seven sixty six sixty six. I'm going to have actually Sweeney Murdy. We're going to do at four forty in the morning. Sweeney Murdy, talk about all things New York Yankees. Get on board. I'm Danielle McCartan on the fan. Good morning again, everybody. I am Danielle McCartan here on WFAN. And you know, we've talked a lot tonight about um, the Giants and is Eli Manning a Hall of Famer? And when you think about the comparables, you know, I, I is he going to be inducted into the Hall of Fame? Yes. Does he deserve to be? For me, it's also a yes. Um, and we can go into the reasons why, but um, I, I actually took to Twitter at one point, too, and asked, will Eli Manning be inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame? And that is my very scientific Twitter poll. And 87% of you guys said, yes, he will be. So I am in agreement, if that's a word, with you guys. We've also talked about Adam Gase and, you know, the fire Adam Gase, save the Jets movement that is going on right now, crowdfunded and everything. Then we got the call from Miriam, and I'd just like to point out that Miriam, as it was pointed out to me on Twitter by at MichaelDragon19, and by Kevin, he's been checking the call screen, and, you know, Miriam is, as Michael puts it, an OG caller on the fan, passionate about hockey, the Islanders, everything, um, and I never want to deter anybody from calling in the show, really, it's just in good fun, it's just... I just don't understand how you don't know who Adam Geese is before he got here and all that stuff. So um, if you you know if you listen, you know. And I'm not trying to make fun. I'm really not. And I, I also don't want anybody, especially women, to be deterred from calling into the show. I really don't. But um, we're just having fun with it. That's all. It's just in, all in good fun. And we have um, Sweeney Murdy at 440. So let's get some calls in, 877-337-6666. Sal in Aberdeen, you are on the fan. Hey, Danny. Uh, first time calling you. All right. Uh, good listen. Cool, thanks. Um, uh, a, few, a few quick things. Eli definitely is Hall of Fame quarterback. He didn't just win two Super Bowls. I mean, I'm a Jets fan. He didn't win two Super Bowls. He's won two iconic Super Bowls. You know, those Super Bowls will go down in history as probably the greatest Super Bowls ever when you win like that. So right there, he should be in the Hall of Fame. His stats are okay, but look at Joe Namath. Let's put it, I mean, like I said, I'm a Jets fan. Joe Namath's in the World Series, I mean, in the Super Bowl, in the Hall of Fame, because of his prediction. You know, he was an okay quarterback, but he was that just that type of bold, brash guy, and I, that's basically really why he's in the Hall of Fame. Um, you know, so, and also on on Miriam, just, like you said, she and probably maybe she didn't, if she didn't hear it or read, you know, read it from Braille or whatever, she probably doesn't know who Adam Gaze is. You know, so he cut her a little slack on that. And um, with the Islanders, I'm a long-time Islander fan also. And the Islanders have done it the right way. The other guy that called... So, I mean, sure, all that's cool. All, all that's cool and great. And, and Sal, I was about to tell him to turn his radio down, too, because there was a little bit of a, a reverberation, and I couldn't really... You know, he kept going, so I didn't want to interrupt him. But... um Yes, Joe Namath being in the Hall of Fame, you know, he doesn't have the stats that, that need to be there. And and like you said, Sal, you made a good point, in which I also made too, that the two Super Bowls that Eli Manning won, 
I mean, Eli Manning took a wild card New York Giants team. I believe it was 2007 was the year. Uh, A wild card New York Giants team. And they won the Super Bowl. And they beat the Patriots, who were previously unbeaten. That, in and of itself, is an amazing feat. So, that in and of itself, I mean, deserves Hall of Fame contention. And we're not talking about, you know, just a good Patriots team. We're talking about the the Patriots dynasty teams. Eli Manning took a wild-card Giants team to beat the dynasty Patriots and a first-ballot Hall of Famer in Tom Brady. And if Eli Manning was really smart, if, if the Hall of Fame is the goal for Eli Manning, here's what I would do if I were him. I'd retire after this season because... You've you got to think Tom Brady's coming back. Aaron Rodgers is coming back. Roethlisberger's coming back. Um, Breeze would be coming back. So that means Eli Manning would be able to get into the, the Hall of Fame one year before, and he wouldn't have to go up against any of those guys. He'd actually get in before any of them. So that's it's something else you got to watch out for, which hasn't really been talked about. Mark in Bayside, you're on the fan. So it's you. Mark, you there? Uh, yes. Oh, okay. Hey, what's up? Uh, happy holidays to you. You too. Um, a couple of weeks ago, you were giving a lot of insight into uh, Garrett Cole, uh, what kind of a person he is, and what a great fit he'd be for the Yankees. And uh, and I wanted you to know, I saw the press conference. I was really impressed with uh, how much uh, he was uh, excited about this opportunity. Mm-hmm. And, and yes, the, the money was number one, but to finally get the opportunity to come the Yankees, and actually to have that signed after all these years, that totally blew my mind. Um, I think that was one of the best uh, press conferences I I ever saw. I'm curious to know what what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, Mark, thanks for the call. Yeah, I made a huge uh, case for Adam Gase to, I mean, for Adam Gase, (laughs) for Garrett Cole to come here. Um, I am a huge Garrett Cole fan. I wanted him to come to the Yankees um, because of all that, because he's a very intelligent guy. He's a student of the game. As a coach myself, you love the kids on your team that are um, the student of the game. And, and Garrett Cole is, in fact, a student of that game. He's there to teach other players. Um, he's, he's just going to be a, such a positive influence. And um, the, the sentence that got me, and it got a lot of people, but, I mean, I, I ate it up. Pressure is a privilege. And I'm like, wow, you know what? To be trusted in a pressure situation, uh, for the Yankees would be, you know, the World Series probably, Um to be trusted in that situation, you got to be a special person to embrace that. And Garrett Cole showed that he obviously is ready to embrace it. Um, and just, I just, I just love the signing. I know the money was was a main factor, but the sign too, like, it got me thinking. Like, okay, he's had that sign about eighteen years, and I started thinking about like eighteen years ago, I was a freshman in high school. So I'm trying to think of if if I save stuff because I'm a saver, and that's a sentimental thing. So I'm like, you know what? I did. I, I've saved game balls, uh, you know, and I, I just, that's special. It's just special. Um, and signs, I do have signs as well, actually, that were that were made for me, um, just obviously um, at, the, at the high school level. But, you know, on senior day, I, I still think I have my senior day poster. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I just think I loved it. I, I, you know, he has played into every fantasy that Yankee fans have had. Now let's just go and win the World Series, will you? Carlo in Kings Park, you're on the fan. Good morning, Daniel. How are you? Good. How are you this week? Good, good. Happy holidays to you. You too. Um, 
far as the uh, Jets and the Yankees, uh, the Jets, I think they're going to win. I really do. I do, too. I, I do. I think I the Jets why, beat them. Yep, I agree. I, I don't know why, but I have a sneaky feeling Me the Jets too. are going to win. Yep. And and as far as the Yankees go, I mean, I, yeah, as far as the Yankees go, I, unfortunately, my man Sanchez is going to get hurt again. And they're going to have to get a backup catcher because... I don't think Iggy's. I don't think Iggy's the answer, Daniel. I really don't. Yeah, I, I think. That, but at this point, I think the Yankees are are, are good to go on him. Really, they just he's love that he's confident. defensive. He, he's he's actually he's the exact opposite of, of Gary Sanchez. Well, I know I know he's I know he's really good defensively, but the thing is, will they be able to carry it? Will be able to carry a two twenty batter if that? Yeah, I, mean, I, I do. I, I think so. I think if it was a situation on the Mets, Carl, thanks for the call. We're up uh, a little bit against the break here. I think if the situation was on the Mets, reversed, I don't think they'd be able to carry a bat like that. But for the Yankees in that lineup, I, I do. I do think they'll it'll be fine. Offensively, they'll be fine. Stewart in Brooklyn, you're on the fan. Morning, Danielle. Pleasure talking to you. Of course. As always. Uh, Danielle, it's like... Uh, I want to make a point about the Yankees. I'm happy that they got Garrett Cole, that the signing was this week. And, you know, you just look at this man's personality, that he's really all into being with the Yankees. Yep. From the sign to the way he carried himself and to the fact that he mentioned Marvin Miller and yes. her blood, yep. that was special. Yep. That was so special because those two people started the whole thing to where it is today. Yep. Marvin Miller and... And Kofler was the first one to test it, and he paid tribute to them, which was, you don't see many players pay tribute to those guys. Right. Yep. Not enough. And getting to the Jets, Adam Gaze, um, look, I know Miriam Fulham. I've heard her a long time on the fan, and she's an Islander fan as well as I am an Islander fan. I go back to the days of Mike Barcy and of the whole crew. Sure, sure, sure. I get it. Yep. And, uh, you know, she didn't know who Adam Gaze was, whatever. But you know what? Whatever. Adam Gaze All looks right. like a, a deer in, lost head with the, in, the, in the headlights. Yeah. And yep. he does. He doesn't look like a man who's going to be able to lead Sam Donald to somewhere where he should be. Mm-hmm. But as far as firing him, that would mean, a, well, yeah, you could fire Adam Gaze because Joe Douglas is a, was appointed and he inherited Adam Gaze. Yep. And uh, I would see Joe Douglas making a very, very good choice as a head coach. But as for the Jets, they don't go do that. They don't do that. They don't do the. They let the, the previous GM. But this would be a good thing for them if they did. And as far as Pat Shermer goes, he should have been gone. Uh, he should have been gone like after the, uh, after the fifth or sixth game of this year. He looks lost totally. As far as Gettleman goes, I would keep Gettleman because he's made a couple of good draft picks. He's worked on a couple of things. But, you know, he, you have to give him another. I would give him another shot. And Joe Douglas, definitely, he, he's got to stay. He knows what he's talking about. Yep. And, Stuart, thanks for the call. Yeah, I, I, Joe Douglas has to stay, of course. I would love to see how he what the next draft class is going to be with him. Um, and Greg Williams might be the easy slide over for a head coach for the Jets. You know, to create um, not so much turnover, not so much turmoil. Um, and again, we are talking about teams that have not yet fired their head coaches. So, I, you know, I really don't want to go down that path and who's going to be replacing who because for all we know, they could both be back next year. 
Um, I do think Gettleman should be back. The only problem I have with Gettleman is the fact, uh, you know, about the free agent money spending. That's the only thing that bothers me, bringing Eli back, Leonard back, whatever. But um, uh, training for Leonard, I should say. Um, but I think he, his strength is, in fact, in the draft. And I would like to see one more draft class from Dave Gettleman. Um, and coming up right after the other side of this break, we're going to have Sweeney Murdy, who is the New York Yankees beat reporter. We'll have, hopefully, a lot of your questions answered then. So I'm Daniel McCartan on WFAN Radio. It really gives me great pleasure today to publicly and officially welcome Garrett and Amy to our Yankee family. We'd just like to say, I'm oh. here. <laughs> I've always been here. The New York Yankees get coal for Christmas, and the Yankees universe has never been happier. I'd like to welcome Sweeney Murray, WFAN beat reporter, to McCartan After Midnight on the fan. Sweeney, thanks for doing this with me tonight. Yeah, thanks, Danielle. Thanks for having me. So first, I mean, the main thing, Sweeney's got to be Garrett Cole. And while some will say, including Hal Steinbrenner at one point, that the hitting or timely hitting was the downfall for the Yankees this season, is Garrett Cole the final piece that the Yankees need to lock up the 2020 World Series? Well, he certainly doesn't hurt, you know. Um, and and I've, I've agreed, actually, 2017 and 2019 that uh, the Yankees pitched well enough to win both of those series. And certainly, you know, you're not going to get worse by adding a guy like Garrett Cole to the top of the rotation. And the Yankees were in a perfect situation where, as I think Hal mentioned, you know, you've got a kid that's 29 years old. You've got uh, holes coming up in the rotation with Tanaka and Paxton eligible for free agency. And you've got a team that's ready to win. And his little championship window, they just haven't been able to uh, to break through yet. So it made everything uh, really just the right time for it. Uh, time will tell. It's a lot harder to win and win often than it used to be. Uh, the Yankees and their fans have certainly found that out. It uh, doesn't guarantee anything. Giving yourself, anytime you give yourself the best chance and the most chances, well, that's that's really all you can ask for. I, I kind of thought the timeline of the Rothschild firing it was a little conspicuous to me. Hear me out. He was fired on October 28th. Eleven days later, he's replaced with Matt Blake, the analytics mm-hmm. dude. And are the firing, in your opinion, of Rothschild and the courtship of Garrett Cole, are they correlated in any way? I mean, Rothschild still had a lot to do with, with what James Paxton was able to do and how he got um, better in the second half of the season. Um, it wasn't, and you saw how quickly he got another job. Right. So this isn't like this was some old dinosaur that everybody decided was no good. Uh, he got a job very quickly. Um, I just think that there was the Yankees are probably moving in this direction as an organization. You've seen it really from their entire, uh, not just their major league coaching staff, but their entire organization. This is the direction they were going. You know, that said, they could have made this move, and Garrett Cole could have chosen to go to the Angels. And, uh, it would not have, you know, then then you you still have this pitching coach. So I don't think it has much to do with just Cole. I think it's just the direction the team uh, has started to go in with their overall coaching staff. We've seen all the takes of how great Garrett Cole is, how smart he is. That, that's kind of old news. What I'm interested in to hear from you and your take is how involved is Garrett Cole going to be, not only in the, in the development of himself, but of the other pitchers on the staff? Well, it's, um, it's part of being a leader, and I think, you know, you take that much money and you sign here for this long, I think you understand that that's part of the job description. 
Um, and for all the people that I've talked to, he, I mean, he really enjoys talking about the art of pitching. I'll tell you something funny. I had uh, I'd spoken to a few different teammates uh, that he had over the years since the Yankees uh, had signed him last week. And just to get an idea of who he is and different things, they all rave about him. But one of the things, A.J. Burnett told me one of the things. He was with him in Pittsburgh, and the Yankee fans are obviously very familiar with A.J. Burnett. Uh, A.J. treated Garrett Cole like he was his little brother. And at one point he told me, he says, uh, just remember, I taught him his hook, meaning his curveball. Mm-hmm. Uh, I casually, uh, at, at the press conference of the day, uh, Garrett is standing, waiting to do another interview circuit, I think, on MLB Network, and I was standing next to him. And I had mentioned to him that AJ told me that he, he taught him taught him his hook. And he said, yeah, absolutely. And then he starts showing me. I didn't. That's all I said to him, Daniel, mm-hmm. is that AJ said he taught you his curveball. And he starts geeking out by showing me grips, and he's showing me how he used to grip the ball and how it would spin off this finger and how he worked with A.J. Burnett and Charlie Morton. And this was the grip he uses now. And this is the grill they were using with an L screen. And like, I don't know, three minutes uninterrupted. I'm like, this guy really loves talking about pitching with me, who knows nothing about it. Imagine what it's like for somebody who is, in the bullpen with him or in the dugout with him or you're at spring training with him, sitting in the clubhouse. Uh, there's a, you know, that was really quite interesting to me. You know, I mean, that was a day that he could have gotten talked out very easily. And he, he was already talked out, I'm sure, uh, when he's jumping from one interview uh, to the other as, as a day like that entails. Uh, he totally geeked out by me saying just one thing to him about A.J. Burnett teaching him his curveball. And, um, you know, I think that's the kind of guy he's going to be as far as talking about pitching and eventually we talk to other people teaching pitching. Uh, yeah, that's, that's a pretty cool story. Now, yeah, here's a question. This is just maybe you know, maybe you don't, but is there any word on uh, on how much Garrett Cole paid Luke Voigt for that 45? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. Those are usually some pretty good transactions. I'm sure. I think um, – the one I, the one that always sticks out to me, I don't know why, but Bobby Abreu came over to the Yankees, and um, his former manager was a co- uh, with the Phillies was a coach of the Yankees, Larry Boa. Larry Boa was wearing his uniform number, and uh, I think Larry got a nice Rolex out of the deal. Wow! Uh, so yeah, I mean, there's uh, there are ways to make those transactions work for uh, both parties, and I'm sure. Uh, listen, Luke didn't want to. Um, uh, tell anybody what the what the price was, but you know, if we're paying attention to you know what uh, what he's wearing or what he's driving or something <laughs> like that on his way into Tampa uh, in February, maybe we'll uh, we'll figure it out. So, and here's a question: I'm just thinking. I know this is way far ahead of of the time, but uh, the thought creeped into my mind. I want to get your take now. If the Yankees somehow, I mean, with Garrett Cole, all the fanfare, if somehow the Yankees either miss the World Series or lose the World Series. Is there going to be some sort of, I don't want to use the ram- word ramification, but is there going to be some sort of impact on, on Aaron Boone and, and his job? I, I don't think so. I mean, you know, when you look at, I mean, he's part of a, those word is collaborative, right? He's yeah. part of a collaborative effort that everybody is on board with. If the Yankees uh, miss the playoffs this year, I think we have to look for the reasons behind it and all the different reasons that that was a failure. And if it's directly linked to Aaron Boone, you know, then you... And I don't know if that ever you can ever really draw that line. Right. Um, you know, usually it's a pattern of losing or a pattern of, of something else that you're ready to make a change. Aaron Boone, I believe, has one more year, a club option year, 
uh, left on his contract after this. Uh, there is no reason to think after two years the Yankees are considering a change. So I, I'm, you know, if next year ends with you know, making the playoffs without winning the World Series, I don't know that that's something that you directly attribute to the manager and mm-hmm. say, oh, need a change. Right. Um, I, I don't think that's the way the Yankees, especially if you look at the stability the Yankees have, have had the last few years, I don't think they envision that at all. If they are a good team, a contending team, and lose for just baseball reasons and, and don't win a World Series for a few more years, I don't necessarily see that as equating anything that would make them um, uh, make a change at that position. It just doesn't seem to fit in with what you know how they run the organization right now. Right, and we're talking with Sweeney Murdy here on WFAN. And Sweeney, the rest of the team now, Cole aside, you're looking at an infield of, let's go right to left, Voight, LeMahieu, Torres, Urshela. And I think, in my opinion, losing Didi Gregorius, I think they are defensively fine, but... How are the Yankees going to plan to replace his lefty bat and, and get on base, uh, you know, attitude? with the, He's got a little pop in his bat, too. How are they going to, you know, kind of, I don't know, blend that into the lineup, the, the missing yeah. hole? There's some questions. I mean, that's that's a good lineup right now, but you look at um, the, all the time that Void has missed, you certainly need an option at first base. Mm-hmm. Um, you look at Miguel Andujar right now, and him coming back from injury. You know, where does he fit in? Um, they you can't use up the BH spot too much because you're probably looking at Giancarlo Stanton yep. holding that spot. Uh, and, you know, the uh, one of the reports from Buster Olin the other day, the Yankees have inquired about Joe Pratt. I you saw that. absolutely true. Yep. Uh, that they have at least uh, thrown that idea around. I don't know how serious that's going to get. But if you're going to sign a player like him, a lefty bat to play second base, you know, that's kind of a – that's not really much of a um, – of a roaming spot or a utility spot, you're probably looking to give him a significant number of bats if you want to lure him here to play. Right. Uh, so that moves LeMahieu into the all-around spot again, first, third, and that puts Voight, Urshela, and Duhar and LeMahieu all in this little cluster again mm-hmm. to figure out who gets the most playing time. I don't think there's a perfect um, solution for it right now, but you do know they need some backups at certain spots and yep. they feel comfortable there. Uh, defensively, I, I still felt like Glaber Torres was a little inconsistent at second base, and I don't know, you know, uh, how quickly he can make that, um, you know, just make that um, change and get over to shortstop and make sure that there aren't, you know, there was just little things where you, you know, like, oh, he forgot to cover the bag there, right. or wow, he almost threw that away, even if it wasn't errors. Just little lapses that you said, you know, that's for a young player. Uh, he's immensely talented, and you know, for the most part of our course of 162 games, you're gonna love what you got there. Uh, but you know, it's he's still a growing player, I think. And um, you know, Luke Boyd at first base, we have we have to see a full year. And defensively, uh, you want him to improve or have a better defensive option over there. So there's certainly some questions left uh, as they try to figure out what the what the most uh, efficient and I guess the the best infield alignment for them is going. Sweetie, does it help, you know, the inconsistencies you noted with uh, Glaber Torres, does it help that he's like a natural shortstop? I mean, second base wasn't his natural position. It might. Um, I, I think it's, uh, I think a lot of it was more just being a young player. And he's really, he's going to be asked to step up now, you know. He's, uh, he's, he's been an all-star. He's, uh, he's, he's a star player in New York. You know, this is, um, he's still super young. He's, he just turned 23. Um, but you're going to be asking him to just, Take on the bigger role. You know, he's not just a young kid anymore. The Yankees are going to go far. 
uh, he's going to be a big part of it. So ask him to step up and just uh, and and really step into those star shoes. That's what he's going to have to do more. You used the word cluster before. That's a great word. There's a cluster somewhat at at third base going on because you got Urshela and Andujar. Andujar, it's Urshela's job to lose, as we've seen. But Andujar is kind of like a wild card to me. And, and how do you see the third base uh, uh, internal competition playing out? Yeah, it's a great question. I don't know the answer to that, Daniel. And I, I think a lot of it depends on who they consider their backup infield uh, spots and, and what they're looking for there. Um, I, I don't, you know, I think a lot of people are like the easy answer is go ahead and, and just trade one of them. Trade mm-hmm. and, you know, I, I don't know that you can make that commitment um, off of Gio Rochello's season as much as you might believe he's capable of repeating that. Um, and, you know, same the other way, after Miguel Andujar had one season and then a lost season of injury, and then getting rid of their show is necessarily the, the best thing. I think you have to keep all your options here. Um, it, after missing a year, uh, I, I don't know what the worst thing in the world would be to have Miguel Andujar start the year at AAA, um, but if, if, you know, and that becomes an easier thing to say, let's say if he struggles in spring training. Uh, but if it's clear in spring training that, his, his shoulder is fine. It's not affecting his hitting at all. Well, he's a major league hitter. And, um, you know, so you, you, that's, uh, that's a hard, harder decision to make at that point. Right. But, uh, I don't have a lot of great answers for you right now because you, all these players are still here, and trying to divvy up the playing time is something that, you know, you're going to have to make a move in order for that to happen. So until they do that uh, and see where, where this is going and how they, uh, how they figure out the crowd in infield right now, uh, it's a little hard to uh, to shed light on it. And another interesting position would be at catcher because this is kind of like a two-parter. One, how comfortable do they feel with Romine gone at, with uh, Kyle Higashioka as Sanchez's backup, A? And then B, how about bringing a guy in? My guy I always come on here every week and talk about is, is Jonathan Lucroy. Um, would he fit in, and, and what are they, they going to do as a backup catcher? Well, uh, Kyle Gashioka is a guy that they've liked for a really long time. He's out of options, so they can't send him down to the minors uh, out of spring training. Uh, one of the things they loved about him is his defense, and it's it's rated very highly throughout all of baseball, major and minor leagues, as he's coming up. Uh, I forget, it was maybe two years ago, according to one of the baseball prospectus rankings, uh, their use of pitch framing, but he was the top of all of baseball. Um, in that. So wow. uh, defensively, he is a guy that they've liked for a long time, and um, they felt very comfortable making him the basically the backup to Austin Romine mm-hmm. uh, the times that Sanchez got hurt. Right. Um, they're going to they're gonna, uh, cover themselves with some major league veteran-type guys. Eric Kratz, as John Heyman reported earlier, uh, has signed on, uh, and he is you know, likely the guy that's going to go to AAA, maybe a couple of outs in his contract, and uh, you know, he's the guy that comes up in case of injury uh, and is a backup in that regard. But it shows you if they're signing a guy like that and maybe one more like that, that they're pretty comfortable with the Sanchez and Higashioka combination at the big league level and uh, cover themselves with some veteran backups at AAA. Um, you know, they still like what Gary Sanchez brings behind the plate. And as much as the there is sometimes it's it's very loud – when there are pass balls or wild pitches, what they are looking at is the overall game plan and pitch calling and things like that right. that help a defensive uh, uh, effort. And they are very comfortable with that. They made that perfectly clear. So Gary Sanchez is your number one catcher, and if he is, he's going to catch a pretty good number of times. 
And, you know, they've had... I don't, I don't think they're going to go this far, but back when Ori Posada was the number one catcher, the backups were were rarely used. They would get you know, maybe 115 at-bats during the course of a year. So um, I, I think you get a little bit more of this right now. You want to make sure that he stays fresh, and uh, it's a little bit different mentality as far as running a catcher into the ground, but I still think they're very comfortable at this point with those two as their main catchers. And my final question, this is Sweeney Murdy we're talking with on WFAN. My final question is going to be, you know, Obviously, with Caracol coming in, what happens with J-Hap? And what could the Yankees get in return for him in terms of trade value? Yeah, I mean, at this point, um, I don't think it's necessary to trade him right away. Uh, but clearly, there's, you know, as as pitching, more pitching comes off the board and teams are looking for it, you know, this is an avenue the Yankees can use to uh, to uh, increase the depth of their own roster. Um, it's um, And it, it wouldn't be the worst in the world to hold on to him for now either. Yeah. There's no rush to trade him. I know uh, even just go back a year ago when Brian Cashman said outright, I'm trading Sonny Gray, it, you know, he took his time and waited for, for the deal that he was more comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like you could even go into the spring in Jay Haps here. You're, you know, they haven't said they want to trade him. They're just going in here with, with uh, basically uh, a whole slew of starters right now. And you saw how quickly injuries can hit and – and change the uh, landscape of your rotation pretty mm-hmm. quickly. So holding on to him at this point is, is a terrible idea. Uh, but at some point, I think you would think that eating some of that salary and trading half for maybe some more useful parts probably is a way of, uh, of helping out your team. And Sweeney, thanks so much for joining us tonight, and happy holidays. Thank you. Thanks, Danielle. Thank you. And thanks again to Sweeney Murdy joining us. Some great insight for the New York Yankees, and I think Yankees fans are just very, very excited to get things going, get things rolling. And we are about to hit the reset button here on WFAN. Uh, We're going to talk Jets, Giants, Eli Manning, Hall of Famer. Um, Should Adam Gates be able to keep his job? Got some fiery phone calls. You can load them up, 877-337-6666. I'm Danielle McCartan on the fan, and he is Marco Belletti. And good morning at this 5.05 a.m. on, what are we, Saturday, December 21st. We are so close to the holiday season here in New York City. It's Christmas time in this city. I know. I'm not the best singer, but I do try, and I do enjoy it. So you you guys can have to listen to it. I'm just kidding. I'm Daniel McCartan. I guess we're McCartan in the morning here on WFN Radio in Lower Manhattan. We are set to hit the reset button here. So you guys know the number, 877-337-6666. Everything is back on the table like it is the whole entire show, believe me. Um, so I, I, we got to talk about how I opened the show. Well, and just one more thing. A uh, very uh, cordial thank you to Sweetie Murdy, WFN's New York Yankees beat reporter. Um, how did you like the question about... Uh, the uh, how much money did Cole pay Voight for the number 45? I thought that was one of my more clever questions. No, just kidding. Um, so we started tonight talking, and you guys know I do the songs in, in the opening monologue, and the song I chose is called, actually, Fitting, Hall of Fame by the script featuring Will I Am. And because I picked it because this week, rookie Daniel Jones, who, who in every way, shape, or form reminds everybody of Eli Manning, um, he's going to get the nod. There it is. He's going to get the nod at quarterback. 
for the Giants in Week 16. It's the divisional battle versus the Washington Redskins. Eli Manning, he played for what figures to be his, his last game while wearing the Giants blue at MetLife Stadium last weekend. And the Giants were looking for a win, and Eli Manning delivered one to them. He engineered the team to their first win and counting that game 10 weeks. That's right, Easy e orchestrated the Giants' offense to light up the scoreboard for 36 points, the most they posted all season long. That win broke a nine-game losing streak, and more importantly for the rest of us, probably not Eli, well, maybe Eli, but a lot of the rest of us, his career win-loss record was restored back to 500. I got a tweet from Steve Cofield out in Las Vegas. He's on the sports radio in Vegas, and he, he thought a, a 500, or was it 117-117, was laughable. Um, to get Eli Manning to the Hall of Fame. I responded with, well, he's 8-4 and four in the playoffs with two huge Super Bowl wins. So I believe it is now time to open up Pandora's box. Will Eli Manning retire or will he play elsewhere in 2020? Your guess is as good as mine. No one really seems to know what he's thinking. But if retirement is Manning's choice, will he receive that gold jacket and that bronze bust, I think it's made of bronze, in Canton, Ohio. Well, last week in the final minutes of the game, the camera panned to a luxury suite where his father Archie, a two-time Pro Bowl quarterback himself, and his mother Olivia were embracing while gazing wistfully on the field as Big Blue's faithful serenaded their son Eli. As cameras followed Eli walking off his home field for what seems to be the last time ever, fans were on their feet. They were chanting his name, as they had done intermittently throughout the entire game. Pat Shermer actually even called a timeout for fans to give Eli the ovation that he deserves. Manning entered the tunnel and was embraced immediately by his wife and three young daughters. It had to feel the air of, of a mark of a career's end. Although it wasn't a total fairy tale, though, like, you know, Brother Peyton got to walk off holding the Lombardi Trophy after Super Bowl 50 in the Broncos. But it was still a, uh, a very nice send-off, to say the least, if in fact it is the send-off. So I began to think back after this, after that game, on our last decade here, it, we are entering 2020, we are leaving this decade, and all the New York sports icons that have retired in, in the last 10 years, in this decade, which, would you say... What would be the most moving one for you? Was it watching Eli Manning? Was it Derek Jeter? Was it Mariano Rivera? Or even maybe David Wright? For me, it, it was Derek Jeter. I told the story about how I was at that game. I was at the final game with a bunch of friends and family. We were sitting on the third base side, and it was just, I don't know, it was just like a say goodbye to your, your childhood sort of thing. You know, my first game I went to, I was eight. When he retired, I was 26. So... Um, you know, it's it's just one of those things. So for me, it's Derek Jeter. And we had some calls all night about people talking about all other guys. Um, one of them was Patrick Ewing. I got a tweet about Patrick Ewing. Um, just those players to you, you know, that, that sentimental feel. And so let's let's hit the uh, the, the bell here. Am I, allowed to, am I allowed to hit this Joe Beningo bell? There it is. We can, for the next five years, we will be debating whether or not Eli Manning is, in fact, a Hall of Fame quarterback, or not. And uh, I, I laughed to myself, and I know I can't say the word on the air, but it seems that opinions on Eli's legacy are like, 
well, let's just say everyone's got one. <laughs> As you can tell by the intro song that I had picked for this giant section of the opening monologue, Hall of Fame by the script featuring Will I Am, I do unequivocally think that based on his body of work, his accolades, I do think Eli Manning will be enshrined in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Perfect timing. Let's head out to Marty in Westchester. You're on the fan. Yes, good morning, Danielle. How are you? Yeah, I just uh, heard uh, what you mentioned about the last decade. First of all, in terms of uh, uh, professional players here retiring, Eli definitely deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. He had two iconic Super Bowls. He was as durable a quarterback as I've ever seen. Uh, he'll always have a place in giant history. Uh, on a personal note, I was at the Mariano game in 2013 when he uh, pitched his last game. And that is that was as an emotional scene as I've ever witnessed. Uh, what with uh, Derek and Andy Pettit coming out to the mound yeah. to uh, to relieve him, there wasn't a dry eye in the house. I mean, so that sticks with me, and will continue to stick uh, stick with me as long as I follow sports. Yeah, and I, you know it's funny, uh, Marty. You might have to go back in, into the YouTube channel of mine, but I did at one point interview Andy Pettit. And I asked him about that moment, and he was he just laughed it off. He said that it was just awkward for them. <laughs> Eli, uh, Eli, uh, Derek Jeter's hugging him, and it was just an awkward moment for all of them. But uh, it it created a lasting memory for every Yankee fan, and certainly in this city. Right. And also, given the fact that particular year the Yankees didn't make the playoffs, so we knew that that last home game yeah. was in fact going to be the last game for Mariano. And it was the case for Derek the year after when he got that game-winning hit against the Orioles. I was there for that. That was am- I've never seen the sh- felt the sh- stadium shake like that in for just a, a regular game that meant nothing. Right, it's amazing. Well, the same the same exact thing for Mariano the year before. They're just awesome memories. And uh, and uh, I don't see Eli playing again uh, because uh, I think the only way he would play is if he latches on to a contending team. Mm-hmm. I don't think he would go to a team that's uh, that's in a rebuild uh, mode. So I think, I my personal view, I think this is probably his last year in, in the NFL. Yeah, and if I had to venture to guess, Marty, thanks for the call, as always. Um, if I had to venture to guess, I'd say so, too. But you never know. You know, I mean, Eli Manning's made a ton of money over his career. I mean, he's got three young kids. Is he willing to move them to a different part of the country? Because obviously the Jets have their quarterback, so he's not moving He's not moving locker rooms. He would be moving states at this point in time. So, you know, I, I actually I asked Phil Simms about this, too. Phil Simms, a friend of the show, obviously, um, you know, about his career. And would he have liked to have continued it? And what he told me was, you know, he talked to his wife and, he was, you know, they, he brought it up, and she was like, yeah, go ahead. And he was like, really? And she was like, no, because then we're going to have to move the kids down. And at that point, he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But he did say he had an offer from a Florida team, and he almost slipped when he was talking to me about it. He didn't tell me which team it was. Um, but at that point, how many team, how many teams in Florida were there, really? So you'd have to think the Bucks. You'd have to think the Dolphins. Well, Marino was in his prime with the Dolphins, so it so, had to be Tampa. Yeah. He would have to think because Jacksonville wasn't the team yet. Yeah, right. Yep. So has to be the Bucks. Yeah. Can you imagine that? Phil Sims on the Buccaneers. Oh, my God. Um, but so in that sense, I think, you know, Eli, the family man, I mean, he's he's got charities here. He does tackle kids' cancer here at Hackensack Hospital. Um, you'd have to think that he, he'd, he'd actually be retiring after this season. And, you know, people say, you know, we can, we've obviously opened up the box of if he's going to be a Hall of Famer or not. 
And I, I looked at both sides of this. I mean, there are good arguments why he should not be a Hall of Famer. I mean, maybe my question to you is, do you consider Joe Flacco a Hall of Famer? You're probably saying, no, what are you talking about? Well, Eli Manning and Joe Flacco have the same exact career passer rating, 84.1. And, you know, he's never led the league in yards passing. This is Eli. He's never led the league in touchdowns or passer rating, but he has led it in interceptions. And so does playing in the New York market help or hurt Eli and his cause? Is the New York effect in place? Well, you, you guys know, New York does everything big on the national scale most most times, you know. Think about Odell Beckham Jr. and, and that catch in a game where they lost. It's, it's circled the globe versus that game versus the, the Cowboys. And it helps him in the fact that it amplifies his Super Bowl victories down the Canyon of Heroes, which is not too far from here. But it also hurts because it amplifies his failures. Letting, leading the league in interceptions three times, you know? Eli's never been an all-pro, which means he's never been considered elite at his position. I know we had the campaign, you can't spell elite without Eli, but the fact of the matter is he did engineer two Super Bowl wins for the New York Giants. Okay, so... Does Eli Manning deserve to be in... There's two questions. The one I have is, will Eli Manning be inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame? I think yes. A different question, though, along the same idea, is does he deserve to be there? That's where people differ. A lot of people say no, surprisingly. For me, it's a yes. I mean, you compare him against, against the guys that are in there already, he's a definite Hall of Famer. And we will obviously discuss more of that after the break. 877-337-6666. Is Eli Manning a Hall of Famer, and does he deserve to be there? We'll find out after the break. Danielle McCartan on the fan. And welcome back, everybody, to McCartan After Midnight, or we're going to change it to McCartan in the morning right now. We have full phone lines. I will want to get to them as soon as possible. But this is the Giants touchdown song. There we go. Haven't really heard it a lot this season, but... Eli has throughout the career, though. Eli has. That's right. And we were talking Eli Manning as a Hall of Famer. And Kevin, Kevin, I got to tell you, you were doing an excellent job tonight. Really. I really, you are. Oh, well, thank you very much. So we're talking Eli Manning as a Hall of Famer. Now, I think that you got to look at what's already in the Hall of Fame and to, to compare Eli against those guys. And I think, for me, the two weakest links, the weakest guys in that Hall of Fame are Sonny Jurgensen. And I had to do some research on him, I'll be honest. Um, and actually, Joe Namath. And those are two guys that have entered the Hall of Fame with losing records. Joe Namath um, has 47 more interceptions than touchdowns, which is not a good ratio. And Sonny Jurgensen had more losing seasons, seven, than any other Hall of Fame quarterback, including four of his first five as a starter. So when you look at these guys, and then you compare Eli Manning to these guys, I mean, Eli's a slam dunk, isn't he? Scott and Glenn Cove, what do you think? Eli Manning, no doubt about it, because of these reasons. Just listen to one second. Yeah. He is 
known. I am a driver for a car service in the city. Mm -hmm. So every time I have people in the car that are from, like, Boston, I always ask them, well, like, what New York person do you hate? You know who they all say? Eli Manning, because he beat Tom Brady twice and made an undefeated team go 18-1. and one. Yep. He's absolutely Hall of Fame. Also, longevity. How long did our new quarterback play before he got injured? Yeah, you're how right. How long? And point. then how many games did Eli play? How many years? How many years? Years. Yeah. Years. Yep. He is no doubt about it. You know what? The 500 record is the 500 record, but whatever. He is Hall of Fame. You, the playoff record, you can never take that away from him. Eight and four, two Super Bowls. One with a wild card team, by the way. I'm sure you know. One with a wild card team, absolutely. And the games, who he beat, Brett Favre. Yeah. He beat Brett Favre in Green Bay. Mm-hmm. Remember that game? That was the freezing cold game, right? Brett Favre, remembers it. That was an unbelievable game. That was the freezing, that was so cold. Remember Tom Coughlin turns frostbite. like his face like yep. almost fell off? Yep. <laughs> fell off. <laughs> yeah, he had bad frostbite. Yeah, I remember that. Yep. I have I, I have a, I have an autographed picture of uh, Lawrence Tynes nailing that field goal upstairs in my house. I have that one. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So Scott, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Um, and and you know Eli can't be held accountable for you know some management shortfalls. To be honest, I mean, right now there's no defense on that team. That's not Eli Manning's fault. You know, so that one giant loss is a resounding resounding win for Eli Manning and his case for the Hall of Fame. Tom in Smithtown, you're on the fan. Hi, Danielle. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I wanted to, um, you know, weigh in on the whole Eli thing. Um, in full disclosure, I'm not a Giant fan. Um, I'm a Jet fan. But uh, I'm not a homer. If a guy is good on another team, I'll say it. And if a guy on my team stinks, I'll say it. So, so your, verdict on, get that yeah, out your, your verdict on Eli is? Uh, I don't think he's a Hall of Famer, um, and I'll tell you why mm-hmm. I think. Um, I, I mean, I think he'll get in because of, the, I think, his, the streak, his durability, and he's going to have the numbers and, of course, the two Super Bowls. But my thing is, other than the two Super Bowl runs, he really isn't, hasn't done much. I mean, he had a lot of bad years. Um, I know he led the league in the deceptions at least once. Three um, times. I should have done my homework. No, it was, it was three, three times. times. Yep. And, you know, like, guys like Elway and Marino and, 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 and guys like that, you know, like, they never did that. You know, they uh, – and, and I don't think he was the kind of quarterback that kept defensive coordinators up at night. And, I don't know, I think he'll get in. I mean, he's going to have the numbers, but we live in a passing league right now. I right. mean, everyone gets 4,000 yards a, a season now. Um, but I think he'll get in. But I, I think he's borderline. I, you know, I think – his last name has something to do with it also. I know that may sound a little nutty, but, you know, if his name was Eli Smith, I don't know if he would get in, but I think it being a Manning helps him. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, that's, that's my take on it. And as far as Namus, Namus does not belong in the Hall of Fame. He's in the Hall of Fame because of the whole Broadway Joe thing and, and the merger from, you know, the AFC right. and all that. But he is But there. he had a lot of... Yeah, but he had a lot of bad years. He had a lot of bad games. I mean, I read an autobiography about him, and, I mean, the guy had a lot of games where he threw five picks and for, and had, like, 120 yards. You know, it's uh, I don't think he belongs in either, and I'm a Jets fan. Yeah. But uh, that's my take on Eli. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I know it's not a popular one, but, you know, 
Um, you know, you look at his whole career. I mean, he's had a lot of bad years, and you know, um, that's that has to weigh in too. But uh, thanks for taking my call, and uh, have a great day. You too, Tom. Thanks for the call. Um, and and to that, I have to say, you know, I point you guys in the direction of Len Dawson, but probably more recently. I'd say look at Troy Aikman. Troy Aikman had four losing seasons. Uh, the Cowboys were 1-5 in, in his rookie season. And then he won three Super Bowls to Manning's two. But in the early 90s, he also closed on a low note with his Cowboys days, 4-7 and seven in 2000. So, you know, I get it. I do. And there, I know there are arguments against Eli Manning making the Hall of Fame. I, I, I've told you a few of them. The first overall draft pick, Eli Manning. He's the longest tenured player in the storied New York football Giants history. Guys, Eli Manning, he is a Hall of Famer. Dave, what do you think? Dave in Manorville. Hi, good morning. How are you? Good, how are you? All right. Uh, I've actually been watching football since the early 50s. Um, I can tell you Sonny Jurgensen was a much better player than Eli Manning. Uh, But I think you're... The thing about Eli Manning is the two Super Bowl wins weren't just against Chop. You know, they were against spectacular teams. The dynasty teams. And I, yep. Right. And I think there's a similarity between Manning and Namath in that they both did things. I mean, Namath was the first quarterback to win for the AFL. Manning won twice against the Patriots. And also, Namath beat the Colts, who were a dynasty team. Uh, but overall, the one thing I never liked about Manning was I never saw him as making other players around him better, like a man, like a Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning's problem was that he always made his team twelve and four, even though they weren't that good, and then they lose in the playoffs, and everybody would blame him. Uh, I think that's also another thing that's changed with sports is that the playoffs are such a much bigger deal today because there are so many more playoff games. So. I think Eli will probably get in because he won those two Super Bowls against the Patriots. Mm-hmm. And I think also I agree with a couple of people who said, you know, the guy's played 20 years. Yep. But I don't really think he was that high quality of a quarterback just from watching the game for, God knows, 60 years. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, we get, David, thanks for the call. We get a we get a front row seat to Eli Manning, um, obviously, day, week in and week out, season in and season out. And, you know, maybe he doesn't match the eye test, pass the sniff test day to day, but that's why, though, guys, that they wait five years before they're voted upon so that, you know, the Aikman 4-7 and record in 2000 doesn't sting so much so that, you know, the, the switch off this season with Daniel Jones doesn't sting so much. And when you look at the entire body of work of Eli Manning, again, I do think he is a Hall of Famer. Lake success. Rob, you're on the phone. Well, well, Danielle, you got me to call. Good morning. Uh, (laughs) When is 14 and 6 better than 18 and 1, as a previous caller said? As they tell every Patriots fan, they shake their head in disbelief because it ruined the season of all time. Now, the the previous caller didn't sound in the 70s, and he's been watching football since the 50s. I went to my first Giant game in 1968. I'm almost, I'm almost 60, okay? So I've been watching football in the way before you were born. In the lean years of Giant football, from 68 to 1980, they were as bad as what we're watching now, just different, just different. And I saw 
when uh, you know when you had Fran Tarkington, and then you had Norman Sneed, and you had Craig Morton, and then you had the Pizarchik, which changed the whole franchise. That whole thing with Young became the best thing that ever happened to the Giants. To answer the question, I don't care. This man has brought joy to football and for Giant fans. He gave us two championships. I sat in San Francisco watching him get beaten up, winning a game where I walked out of it. If I made a noise, I was afraid I was going to get killed by 55,049 of fans. I had to go through joy on the plane screaming, calling the fan, by the way, on the red eye, talking <laughs> to Lori. I must tell you, as a fan of the Giants, whether he's elite or not elite, I could care less. He belongs in because I, he's, what he's given for me personally the joy. Now, as far as Namath, and I saw all these guys. There's a previous caller. And Jurgensen, Jurgensen played on a bunch of teams. He was a wonderful quarterback in every team he played. Does he belong in? Absolutely. And as far as Namath, Namath was a wonderful quarterback who had bad seasons. He changed the NFL because of the merger. And I'm a jet hater, by the way. Yeah. But does he belong in? Sometimes you don't go by stats. I'm sick of the stats with people go by. I'm not one of those guys. I watch sports for enjoyment and what my teams accomplish. And as far as I'm concerned, he's the greatest giant football quarterback in my lifetime and debatable with Phil Simms. Have a wonderful afternoon and morning, and we'll talk again. Rob, thanks for the call. Appreciate the passion there. He is one passionate Giants fan. Um, And then there's the other argument that, like, although, you know, he's a great quarterback, Eli Manning, I don't know, like, it's not the Hall of Greed. It's the Hall of Fame, right? And that's that's what I'll say. And, no, I didn't get to see Sonny Jurgensen play. No, I didn't get to see Joe Namath play. But I got to see Eli Manning play. And, you know, while I agree that the stats are somewhat overboard sometimes, and you can kind of bend the stats in anything to kind of fit your narrative, we'll say, uh, there's got to be some sort of qualifications, you know, like, Stats equal Super Bowl wins. I mean, really. So you can use that to justify Super Bowl wins. And there is no hard cut, like, oh, you need at least three Super Bowl wins to get to the, into the Hall of Fame. It's not like that. But Eli Manning has two of them. And he's put them up against the Dynasty Patriots teams. And you'd be seeing t- pictures of Tom Brady wearing eight rings if it wasn't for Eli Manning and his Giants. So for that, the entire NFL should be thankful, I think. More of your calls after the break, 877-337-6666. I'm Danielle McCartan on The Fan. Got M&M twice in one night, Kevin. I like it. I like it. So I am Danielle McCartan here on The Fan in our final home stretch till 6 a.m. Where is it? It's Richard Neer coming up next, correct? Yeah, Richard Neer is up next at 6 with you guys. Um, and we are embroiled in a conversation about Eli Manning. Should he and will he be inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame? And I think what we keep forgetting is the fact that those two Super Bowl wins that he had, he was the MVP of both of them. And Al from Paramus tweeted me, and he said, the only other thing I want to point out as a Patriots fan is that the Patriots now have gone on to win three more Super Bowls. Um, That could work in two ways. I mean, you could use that as an argument to say, like, that's how good they really are and were, and that Eli beat them. And my recommendation, Eli, if you are listening, is the following. Um, and if you wanted to tweet me, it's at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N. You don't have that. It's Facebook.com slash Coach McCartan. Same thing. Um, my advice to Eli, 
if you're up at 5.43 in the morning, Eli, is that I think that if you're deciding, if I can help you decide on what you're going to be doing, I would say hit retirement. Because if your end goal is to get into the Hall of Fame, you don't want to be doing it in the same year as guys like Brady, who is probably the best quarterback almost pretty much ever to play the game. I know there's Montana and, and whatever, but Tom Brady is in the top, of, let's say, one, two, or three quarterbacks to ever play the game. So you don't want to go in, in his class. You don't want to go in Aaron Rodgers' class. You don't want to go in Drew Brees' class. And I'm missing one. I know I'm missing one. But what I'm saying is get out now because they have to wait five years, you know, another year in addition to you. So if you get out now, you're eligible in five years. None of them, in my opinion, are going to be retiring in this year. So at least you'll have an, a year of eligibility up, a leg up on them. Let's go to Justin Dobbs Ferry. You're on the fan. I think you left out Rivers and Roethlisberger. Roethlisberger, definitely. Rivers is debatable. We can have that conversation yeah. another day. But, yeah, Roethlisberger, thank you. So, yes, Eli is a Hall of Famer. Yes, Eli will be a Hall of Famer. Um, I think, you know, there are certain intangibles. You talk about, you know, you can you can say, well, this guy has the most touchdown passes. This guy won the most games. This guy's got the most yards. But there are other things that will get you into the Hall of Fame. And if you've played an integral part in the history of the NFL, obviously Eli belongs in the conversation. Well, of course, because he, he changed the direction of, of the Patriots franchise. I mean, they could have... No been, doubt about you know? it. Yeah. But I will say, you know, because I've been listening since the break, and, you know, you talked about Joe Namath, Sonny Jurgensen, and all the other things that these guys do and don't do. But two things. One, in 2008, when Plaxico Burr shot himself, the Giants were 12 and 1. Giants end up going 12 and 4 and lose in the playoffs, but I think if they're healthy, Plaxico doesn't shoot himself. You're talking about Eli being a three-time Super Bowl winner mm-hmm. because the Cardinals were as good as they were. The Giants beat the Steelers and the Cardinals in 2008 in the regular season. They beat the Steelers 21-14 in October, and they beat the Cardinals 37-29 in kind of a shootout, and Eli had like three touchdowns that day. And I think he was well on his way to solidifying himself as a Hall of Fame quarterback that year. And, you know, they they lose plaques. They lose in the playoffs. They make one more run in, was it, 2011? I think if you're talking about Eli being a three-time Super Bowl champion, there's no question he's a Hall of Famer. And I think if Plax doesn't shoot himself, <laughs> I think the Giants win the Super Bowl that year. And now, you don't want to play the what-if game. Right. Or what if they didn't the go on Super that Bowl, boat trip? Right. Right. Yeah. You know, if, if Eli, you know, in, in both playoff runs, I don't know that I ever saw a quarterback take a beating the way he did and get up every time and just keep making play after play. Now, you can talk about how the defense was great. You can talk about the running game. But until those other guys fell in line, Eli was always in – there was never a problem with Eli. He was never undisciplined, right? He always – Well, there was that thing about the – guy takes it on the Yeah, team. but it was about the, that one thing about the, the apparel, is passing it off as uh, re- authentic game use, and, and it wasn't. There was that one little yeah, blip. Fair enough. It's a blip. I'm going to – it's a blip. Mm-hmm. But – you know, does the guy have integrity? 
Does he stand in front of his locker after yes, every he game? Does. does he say all the right things? He never, never once ever threw anybody under the bus. And I think if you look at, you know, after Tom left, and Tom said it when he, when he, when he gave his speech, none of this is your fault. And right. I think I remember his record. Yep. At the when he, when Tom left the Giants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, said, I remember that. Yes. None yeah, of this is your fault. Eli, right? None of this is your fault. I think. None of the bad stuff is Eli's fault. I don't think it's his fault that they stunk. You know, I mean, he didn't play well, but their offensive line was atrocious. Yeah, they had they never they had no running game. Mm-hmm. Their defense didn't play well. Yep. You know, I I think he's a you know I've always loved Eli Manning. I loved him when he was at Mississippi. He won big games there. He beat Florida twice, something his brother never did. You know, and obviously he beat Tom Brady in the Super Bowl twice. Yep. You know, when when the chips are all in. That guy stood toe-to-toe with everybody. And, Justin, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Let's head out to East Rockaway. Mike, you're on the fan. Hey, Danielle. Morning. Morning. The signal's coming in good in Myrtle Beach. All right. Sure. <laughs> yeah. I, had nice, I had a nice chat with, with Kev. I'll give him a shout-out uh, uh, with Mary while I'm waiting on deck. But He's, you know he's what? giving you a thumbs up and a smile. <laughs> That's it. All the good Thank you, Mike. Oh, no problem, Kev. You know, it's funny, Danielle. I uh, tuned in your show. When Miriam called, all I can say is, Miriam, good luck to your Islanders. I'm a long-time <laughs> Jets fan and a Mets fan, and I really can't tell you who the head coach is on the Jets. <laughs> oh, my God. Not but, you, Mike. I'm going to dump you. I'm just kidding. No, 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 no. Just kidding. But it's all good, good fun. And some of the calls are right on target, you know. But um, I'll tell you what. You know, Eli, like the last, good call, the last caller. You know. Class act kid, humble. He was a fighter. He went toe to toe, and there's no reason in my mind. I'm watching uh, sports over 50 years um, that he should be in the Hall of Fame. You know, uh, you can't blame Eli uh, about what's happening with the Giants. You know, maybe the guy uh, who called earlier, the doctor from Lake Successful. You know, maybe he could uh, pinpoint as a longtime Giant fan. Maybe he'll be an assistant GM or something. Uh, everything's wrong with the Giants from yeah. A to Z. Yeah. And uh, you know what, Danielle? I'd like to hear you more often overnight. That's for sure. And uh, a shout out to uh, my man on the on deck circle, Richie Nia. Merry Christmas, Danielle. If I don't speak to you, Happy New Year. Yada yada yada. Mike, you'll be seeing a lot of me over Christmas break. Very good, very good, Danielle. <laughs> All right, thanks for the call. Appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. Okay, we got, what, two more on hold? Jeff, real quick, from Fairview, you're on the fan. Hey, Danielle, happy holidays. You too. First of all, Rob from Lake Success is a great caller. Tremendous. Yeah, fan. I know, yeah, he, always. Everybody. Yeah, he, he hates the Jets. I hate the Giants. So we, we used <laughs> to go at it, but, but he's, he's great. He's my favorite caller. Uh, of course, Eli is a Hall of Famer. Yeah. He, he definitely beat... New England's best team, MVP twice, no offensive line like the other caller said. And let me get to Joe Namath, another Hall of Famer. Come on. Windy, he played at Windy Shea Stadium, first quarterback to drill for 4,000 yards. He basically changed the game. Bad knees and all. Even Vince Lombardi at that time, they asked him who was the best quarterback, he said Joe Namath. I mean, 19-point underdogs in the Super Bowl. Basically called his own plays in that Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's a read defenses, MVP of that Super Bowl also. But, um, I mean, maybe Max Schnell could have got it. But, you know, quarterbacks usually get it. And uh, just ask Don Maynard if Maynard is the Hall of Famer. 
That's yeah. my fools right there. All right, Jeff, I appreciate the call. Thank you very much. And the last one of the night, David, Watertown, Connecticut. You're on the fan. Hey, good morning again. Another longtime Jet fan. Yeah, I just want to disagree with a little bit of a couple previous calls, but I will say Eli, he's definitely a Hall of Famer. I think he's a Hall of Famer by virtue of the two Super Bowl wins. If you take those away, he's a good, steady quarterback, right. but that's what he is. But but I think those those definitely put him over the top. There's no doubt he's, he, he will, I think, will be and should be in the Hall of Fame. But what I disagree with a couple of these callers are saying, they're giving Eli all the credit for all the good things, but when for all the bad, when the team doesn't play well, he doesn't get any of the blame. And, well, the you know, you got to take some of the blame, too, especially when you're the quarterback. The nature. And Eli did that well, but I guess that's just the nature of yeah, the oh, quarterback. He did, he never, like the other guy said, he never he, he always stood up there. Yep. He, stand-up guy. He always answered all the questions. Never never said it was anybody else's fault. He always put it on himself. Yep. So he's a class guy all the way. He deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Giants, everybody. Any team should be happy to have a guy play 20 or however long you played and never miss a game. You know, he, 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 he did all, everything was asked of him. Yep. And another call brought up, a caller brought up, and, and David, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. I forgot who it was, but another caller brought up the fact that Eli Manning has really never been injured, never been hurt. And how soon did it take for Daniel Jones to get injured? High ankle sprain, you know? So that's just in a testament to Eli Manning's durability um, through and through. So I think the consensus tonight does match that of my uh, my highly, highly scientific Twitter poll that 87% of voters did think that Eli Manning was, in fact, a Super Bowl, I mean, a, uh, a Hall of Fame quarterback. Um, and I'd have to agree. For all, many of the reasons outlined above and, and earlier, um, and you know what? There are some some people that are in the minority, and and, and it's okay to have that opinion too, because this is going to be a long-standing debate where people think that he's not a Hall of Famer, and we just had this debate for an entire hour, <laughs> which is great, and I appreciate that, and I appreciate every single one of your phone calls tonight. Could not have done it without you. It's been fun. It's been a fun four hours. Love coming here as always. Great, great job to Kevin. Thank you very much for for. Hitting all the, the music, saw the breaks and everything. You did a great job. And Marco on the updates. He's already on his way home. Uh, thanks to Sweeney Murdy, WFAN beat reporter, joining us tonight. We talked about Cole and what the Yankees are doing outside the starting pitching uh, with their lineup, what, what to expect coming forward. Um, some closing math I wanted to do on my – if you're using Garrett Cole money and Garrett Cole formula, for my four hours tonight, I would have made $16,437.60. I wish I could say this for the first time ever. See you tomorrow night, 3 to 6.